This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. As part of our in-show betting that we're going to start for the first time ever in the history of radio, and especially sports talk radio, I think one wager could be, where are they today? Or at least, where is someone today? Today's stop, it's a home game. Creekside High School, for me, which is about a mile from my house. I just didn't feel like driving in, quite frankly. So I just said, hey, give me a baseball backdrop. I got all the gear. Let's do it. Talk some radio. And I really don't feel like cleaning that office out and that studio ever. So I'm never coming back, Austin Lane. I mean, that's all good, I guess. It's just going to sit here dirty. Um, I've done my part, you know, and I'm not one for procrastination, but you are the boss, so you can do whatever you want to do. Also, though, not too keen on you hitting me with a nah this afternoon because you said you're going to be live at Creekside today, and I respond in the group text, okay, do you need me there? And Brentness comes with a straight-up nah, with nah. a period, nah. Well, listen, it's taxing for you to go. You're, you're in fight camp, man. Yeah. I, I only care about, well, one thing after me. <laughs> That's you winning this fight because I feel like Forget it's on family. my watch. I feel like there's a <laughs> sense of responsibility here. So whatever we got to do, I don't want you disrupting your schedule. you got to okay. go work out a little bit later on. I do. And being down here disrupts that to a degree. So uh, it's safe in the studio. Just in case we have elements or anything that we can't uh, plan for. And this is okay. So uh, you you stay at your home game. I've got my home game. Let me and just say, too, <laughs> on, the, on the hierarchy of things that you know Brent Martineau cares about, he said himself first, which, hey, I, I get it, man. Looking out for number one. But number two was me, which means I, I come before Brent Martineau's family. So what an honor it is, Brent. And I will have my acceptance speech later on in the show. Well, I think you should, and uh, by the way, there's no surprise by the folks living in my house of where they rank. <laughs> <laughs> On the rocks. Hey, man, right. Yeah, no surprise. Yeah, go <laughs> Sounds about right. All Don't right. ever see the guy anyway. Yeah. Uh, is that my dad? <laughs> but anyway, we are at Creekside High School. There's a lot going on. There is a ton- I do a weekly schedule. For our uh, Action Sports Jacks guys, mostly on the TV side. And uh, I looked at Tuesday's rundown of things, and there wasn't a whole lot going on during the day. It's not like big events like the Daytona 500, but there are big events when it comes to high school. And there are a ton of high schools in action. Baseball season starting up, softball season starting up, lacrosse season starting up. But all the winter sports are finishing up. And girls basketball and boys basketball are in the playoffs. Uh, soccer is in the playoffs. And there are a ton of teams locally in action. We're going to try our best to get to many of them tonight on CBS 47 and Fox 30. So that's really part of the reason I'm here. I've got duty down here uh, to get the girls' basketball team here at Creekside's home, the girls' soccer team, both in playoffs. Uh, the softball team is home. I'm not sure we'll get that game. It's early in the season. This game here actually is a JV game that I selfishly don't mind watching because Ty played for uh uh, with a bunch of these guys. Uh, and then we might scoot over either to Ponte Vedra or Bartram Trail because they're home in uh, soccer as well. So there is a lot to get uh, to uh, tonight in the high school ranks. And Stuart Weber is going to be at the Florida Gators JU baseball game. Hunter Barco from the Bowl School. He pitches tonight for the Gators against JU. That one uh, over there at uh, Session Stadium. 
and Stuart will have a report from over there a little bit later on, and then he might go get some other high school activity too, because Bishop Kenny's home, University Christian's home, uh, I'm missing some, but there are a lot of schools home. The list is long uh, here tonight for high school athletics, uh, and a lot of it in the postseason. So good luck to all the kids, good luck to uh, all the different schools, and hopefully uh, they continue to, to wave the banner of Northeast Florida loud and proud but that's part of the reason uh, here tonight it's more of a convenience thing for me from the TV standpoint <laughs> and sometimes that happens uh, here on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690 of course hey man the big story the Daytona 500 I was there last night it was another long day at the 500 uh, as as you know and as everybody knows and it was the dominating story last night a bit of a sigh of relief but I think we even have to be a little careful with that uh, still no real news other than what we got last night on Ryan Newman, that uh, non-life-threatening injuries, that was a big sigh of relief. But he is still in serious condition, and that was a major wreck. And I just wonder what kind of damage was done to Ryan Newman and his body. Uh, and we don't know that yet. And I, it could come out even this afternoon. Uh, Roush Fenway Racing, his race team, put out another statement thanking people for their well wishes and uh, their prayers and all of that, but they did not update his status from a health standpoint. And listen, that's a private thing. I'm not saying we need to know, but I think we still wait. Uh, There were two steps in this thing. First of all, is he okay Mm -hmm. and going to make it? And that is a check-the-box yes, and that was a big one. But uh, there is still, I think, a lot of concern about Ryan Newman and his health, as there should be. That was a major wreck. And, man, I've been doing this for 20 years I have never experienced anything like that feeling after the race in victory lane. I was not at the 2001 Daytona 500. I was working in Providence, Rhode Island uh, for Dale Earnhardt's passing on the track, and I can only imagine what it was like. But we got a little bit of a taste of that for a couple hours last night. Uh, There were two, two and a half hours that nobody knew what was going on, and I would be disingenuous if I said people were not talking about and feeling like the worst might have happened to Ryan Newman. Yeah, I mean, and obviously I wasn't there, Brent, but you were. So, you know, you can kind of attest to this a little bit just from the crowd reactions. And it's kind of a crazy thing, right? Because you think of the Daytona 500, you know, it's like the Super Bowl for NASCAR. Um, you know, and, and then they announce the winner and there should be celebration and everything. But, like, as far as, you know, the race ending, I, I almost felt like at least the way it came over on the broadcast, it was like a sense of melancholy you know because there was the uncertainty and there was the unknown and um you know let's be honest people didn't know if this guy was dead or not you know and and i didn't know either so it was just um it it was a crazy ordeal just kind of watching it because you think of nascar you know being this high energy type of sport the announcers are always bringing their a game and they're always trying to paint the picture of what you see on tv and then you know, just to kind of hear the, I guess, the message in their voices, like you knew something was definitely up, you know, and it was something serious. So then you just kind of wait and sit and wait for social media. You just keep on refreshing Twitter, hopefully, you know, thinking that the guy's going to be okay. And by all things considered, I mean, you know, he is alive, obviously. They haven't really announced the care, the all his injuries quite yet, but, um, you know, he is up, he is breathing. So that that is a plus in such a horrible crash. Yeah, and uh, listen, it was the worst of the worst. I'm not a NASCAR guru, but if you listen to the drivers and experts talk about it, it was rare, and it was as bad as it really can be. There are some bad wrecks and some nasty wrecks, and sometimes they look worse than they are. And that's really the strange part of Dale Earnhardt passing uh, 19 years ago is that we've seen worse-looking wrecks, uh, and he passed away during that Daytona 500. So 
I think the the nature of this wreck across the finish line was not unusual for it to be a fireworks kind of wreck and and a one that looked oh my goodness and even airborne we've seen cars get airborne mm-hmm. but the fact that he was airborne flipped over and then got hit on his driver's side by Corey LaJoy really made this about the worst case scenario for a driver and in a crash and that's what Denny Hamlin said and that's what others have said about it and so that's why this one was as devastating as it was and you know it's my job to I I don't want to say it's hard to describe it's my job to describe or try to describe what it was like there we sit at the uh, at Victory Lane and you can see the start finish line. You can't really see much else. You're watching on TV monitors and everything, but you can hear the I mean it is a cool scene at Daytona mm-hmm. uh, any race, but it is a cool scene when all those people get up on that last turn and start cheering and it, you know it's going to be a close finish. It wasn't like anybody was running away with it. And you expect some kind of fireworks in a crash. And so this roar comes up and then you can hear the announcers in stadium uh, and they say there's a crash, and you can see the crash, and we can see it. I have video of it uh, crossing the finish line, and then the skidding on down the speedway. And at the moment, you don't even know who won the race. It was that close. Denny Hamlin, I believe this was the second closest ever. He also won the first closest ever five years ago, so he's got the two closest finishes. He's won both of those races. But you don't know that at the time. In fact, I think even on the Fox broadcast, it took them some time to realize who was the actual winner of the race because of the photo finish and all the attention on Ryan Newman. But the, they knew it was bad right away. And so you hear the gasp and the, 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 the loud roars go to silence and curiosity. But we see so many of these guys walk away from these wrecks that the celebration ensues. The celebration continues. Mm-hmm. And so the immediate is donuts and, and the pit crew's all excited. They just won the Daytona 500. And I'll have more on that part a little bit later, but I thought people got a little bit aggressive and, and hammering Denny Hamlin and company about yeah, that. They the just won the no Daytona idea. 500. I know. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, but what, what was interesting to me, what happens next in about the next few minutes, they go to Victory Lane. And Victory, this is where I noticed the big difference. Victory Lane is usually packed. And Victory Lane had a good amount of people in it. Mm-hmm. But Victory Lane is buzzing, and the confetti's getting ready to go, and everybody's filling in and hustling in and running in. Well, Austin, people weren't running in. Mm. They weren't hustling in. There there were several vacancies, if you will, in Victory Lane. I mean, there were bald spots in the crowd of of Victory Lane. Uh, There was plenty of room for 50 to 100 more people. That is very unusual around the winner of the Daytona 500, really probably the winner anywhere in a NASCAR uh, race. So that was the first red flag that, uh uh-oh, there's a lot of attention being paid to what's going on with Ryan Newman right now. And then you see the NASCAR officials, and you know some of them, Chip Weil, the Daytona International Speedway president, uh, other NASCAR officials that you see around the track, and they're all on their phones. And some are on two phones at the same time. Mm. And there's whispers, and there's just this quiet nature in victory lane that was so eerie and uh it just didn't feel right um and and at the same time nobody really knows what's going on that's when denny hamlin and joe gibbs and they realized that whoa this thing was really bad and joe gibbs talked about it later he said listen we see a lot of wrecks and guys wrecks are part of it but we didn't realize the severity of this one until we actually kind of got in here and and Despite that, 
nobody really knows how to react. They're, they're, everybody's concerned for Ryan Newman. Fox broadcast goes off the air. Nobody's saying much. There's ambulances and, and, and officials, and they're trying to extricate him from the vehicle. And meanwhile, here in Victory Lane, there is confetti going off. There is finally that interview that takes place in Victory Lane. There is uh, Denny Hamlin coming out of the car and being uh, celebratory because he won the Daytona 500. But amidst this, nobody really knows what's going on. And you could also tell that Denny Hamlin and NASCAR was kind of thinking to themselves at the same time, how much should we celebrate this right now? Like, mm-hmm. what do we do? And you can you could visibly see that. And uh, it's the best way I could describe it. That did not leave Victory Lane, by the way. Uh, the only time that, that some, the mood changed after the race, and the race ended, oh, maybe sometime around 7.15, 7.30, I think. But the only time the mood changed was around 10 o'clock. And at 10 o'clock, we got word that NASCAR officials were coming into the press area, and they were going to deliver a statement of some kind. We did not have any idea at that time. Usually you'll hear rumors, even though you don't want to report it, of what was going on. And we had not. We had no idea if they were coming in to say Ryan Newman was dead or what they did say, which was non-life-threatening injuries but serious condition, and that statement. And then you could kind of feel like a sigh of relief, at least in that room and around the track. Uh, and I think it was after that that even Denny Hamlin and his team went out to like uh, uh, the start-finish line and, and took pictures and did things like that. So this was a couple hours later. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, again, Daytona 500, wouldn't the Daytona 500 is, is it's, it's the pinnacle, man. It's the pinnacle of this sport. And can you imagine a situation where the Super Bowl winner isn't celebrating on the field because something else is going on at the other end of the field? Uh, and, and I guess that's the best way I can describe it. It was unlike anything I've ever experienced. I have covered high school games and, and football games where there's that pause, you know, because people are concerned about a kid that got knocked out or uh, maybe there's a neck injury. And, and those you, you can feel that. But this was totally different because I've seen the jubilation before, and uh, it was unbelievable. But, again, uh, uh, thoughts with Ryan Newman, and we await more word, and and hopefully we get some more word during the show by 6 o'clock. But I think a lot of people still thinking about him. At the same time, there at least is – at least he did not uh, uh, lose his life on the track. Well, and and you mentioned Dale Earnhardt, you know, and I I remember because, like – I used to be a huge NASCAR fan, and obviously I was a Jeff Gordon fan. I've talked about it before on the show, but I was, you you had to respect Dale Earnhardt, man. He's, you know, he, he's one of the OGs of racing, and I, I distinctly remember like being in sixth grade, going to Texas Motor Speedway, and watching that race in person. Um, Earnhardt, like, you know, he he rolls out with I think like the first couple hundred, I think it was like the first hundred laps. He gets in a crash, goes to the pits, and comes back with no bumper, like no front anything. Like it looked like he was racing, racing like a hot rod. Like I mean, his car was discombobulated but like he's still racing it was just insane and and that was the thing with with Dale Earnhardt the Intimidator you know it's like no matter what the guy's gonna find a way to keep on racing and then I remember being in eighth grade watching the Daytona 500 and you know it's the last lap Earnhardt goes into the wall and I I honestly didn't think it was that big a deal you know and at the time I was all about the crashes you know I mean I think everybody was I mean I think crashes are still a big part of of racing obviously people love to see them I obviously hope everyone's okay but crashes are a part of the sport so I see the Dale Earnhardt crash and you know they get out the ambulances and I'm like man he's okay and literally it was the last lap so I got up I'm like all right well it is what it is and I go play with my friends outside or whatever like that and then I come back in a couple hours later 
and you know I'm with my stepdad who's like a diehard NASCAR fan and like I can just see him kind of look dejected I'm like what's going on he's like Dale Earnhardt you know passed away so like you know just seeing like that crash and Dale Earnhardt you know being the intimidator and just being this guy that was almost godlike you know crash on something that didn't look that serious I mean I'll be honest Brent when I was watching that race last night and then I saw that crash take place with Ryan Newman I, I mean, I saw it, and, like, my son was by me. I'm like, dude, we don't need to watch this right now. Let's just turn something else on because I didn't want to have that conversation with my son. You know, like, it's just – and I get crashing as part of, of racing and everything like that, man, but I'll be honest with you, man. Seeing Ryan Newman fly through the air like that and then get hit on his driver's side door, I, I was expecting the worst, to tell you the truth. Yeah, and I think a lot of people were, and uh, I guess that's kind of the scene I was trying to paint, but a big sigh of relief in NASCAR, and we're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, I'm not going to talk about the Daytona 500 for two hours, but i got another question about it. I'm curious about this one. I don't want to sound uh, insensitive, but was last night a black eye for NASCAR, or was it, uh, I don't know the right word, like a feather in their cap? How far they've come from from a safety standpoint to allow Ryan Newman to survive a crash like that. And it might be too early to tell because we don't know the extent of his injuries. But it could have been a really bad night for NASCAR as well at the Daytona 500 and twice in uh, in a two-decade span in that regard. We'll talk about it. Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. I'm interested in your thoughts. Uh, we'll talk a little more Daytona 500 before we get some football. From Creekside High School all the way to the Action Sports Shack Studios here on a Tuesday. Hang with us. It's a weird balance of you know excitement and happiness for yourself, but obviously uh, someone's health and their family's you know bigger than any win in any, any sport. So um, you know we're, we're just hoping for the best. Well, that's Denny Hamlin, and Denny Hamlin is a subplot to what happened yesterday at the Daytona 500. And it's too bad in that regard because Denny Hamlin made history. Becomes the fourth driver to ever go back-to-back. The first to do it in 25 years. Ever since I came to Jacksonville and started covering the Daytona 500, we, we say this about five times during speed weeks. Nobody has gone back-to-back since Sterling Marlin in 1994-1995. Well, Denny Hamlin did that. And by the way, he's now won three out of the last five Daytona 500s. And that is remarkable because there is so much luck involved and good racing. Uh, to win the Daytona 500. But it is somewhat of an afterthought. I think it will go down in history. It will be remembered. All those things in terms of context, and, and even he said it. Uh, we will, it, it will sink in and we'll celebrate it uh, when the time is right. But uh, they had the right tone yesterday in Victory Lane after in talking to the media. They absolutely did because they knew the, the number one priority was the health and, and safety of Ryan Newman. Uh, again, we've been talking about this a little bit. I just asked the question, though, because I think this is what hit us. Stuart Weber was uh, there with me at Daytona International Speedway, and he's, he's gone to races for a long time. He loves NASCAR, knows a heck of a lot more about NASCAR than me. So he's joined us right now at Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. But we were talking about this a little bit after the race, and especially once we got word that Ryan Newman uh, did not have life-threatening injuries. Was la- While last night could have been tragic for NASCAR, much like 2001 with Dale Earnhardt Sr., was it in, in uh, almost an achievement of sorts, or that's not the right word, but impressive to see how far they've come in the safety advances in the car, 
to what they do to make drivers safe in the car. Jeff Gordon referred to it during the, the telecast. And I think it's um, remarkable that you can look at the crash of Ryan Newman. You can watch what happened for hundreds and hundreds of feet on that speedway going 200 miles an hour. We have to remind ourselves those cars are going 200 miles an hour. And the fact you look at his car that they extricated him from, and he survived. Now, there's a sensitivity to this because we don't know the extent of his injuries, and they still could be very bad. So I don't know if today's the right time to answer this or not, but it's worth at least saying the safety that has happened in the last couple of decades, and, and more in NASCAR, at least saved Ryan Newman's life in what is a 200-mile-an-hour dangerous, exciting sport, especially when you race at Talladega and Daytona International Speedway. I don't know how you feel about it, Austin, but, again, it went from tragedy to survival. And I think NASCAR, with all their work they've done to make those cars safer, deserves some credit for that. I mean, yeah, there is something to be said for when a guy can go flying through the air like that, get hit on the driver's side door, and live to at least you know tell the tale. There is something to be said for that. We're actually we're joined by Stuart Weber right now, Action uh, Sports Jacks, who, you know, it's kind of our residential NASCAR buff, so I think you'd probably yeah. be uh, the, the guy to ask that question to. Yeah, and I think Brent does bring up a very good point. I mean, the last fatality that they've had in NASCAR, uh, not auto racing, obviously there's still quite a bit in open wheel just because of the open nature of the cars, but in NASCAR, the last one was in 2001 and Dale Earnhardt Sr., and that brought the wide, sweeping changes, which, as we're saying right now, I mean, that is the reason that Ryan Newman is, you know, still with us right now. Uh, obviously, as Brent said, we're still kind of waiting to see uh, the full condition and, and how it all panned out. But this was the worst-case scenario where the car got flipped and turned to the weakest point, if you want to call it a weak point, the most vulnerable point on a race car because if somebody hits the engine or the backside or the passenger side any other spot you're not really affecting the driver quite as much because you have all that extra space in the car to kind of take away from the impact this hit was with a car incoming at 200 miles per hour Ryan Newman's car had probably slowed, I don't know, physics, slowed to 150, 120. It was still moving, clearly, when it got hit. So it's not like it was a 200-mile-per-hour car hitting a stopped object. But it was still, you know, a 200-mile-per-hour car hitting it right in the spot, right on the driver's side of the hood and the window net, which, by the way, is open in NASCAR. That's an open window net. It's not like there's a, a window or anything there, anything to stop it. So that is... You know, one of the most vulnerable spots. And when you consider that the, the roll cage, from what we can tell, held up and was able to provide enough support uh, for a driver who, Ryan Newman, by the way, one of the biggest NASCAR drivers. Yeah. Uh, and, and we say that not to, to make weight of it, but the, the point being that he is going to be closer. He's taller. He's wider. Mm -hmm. He takes up a lot more space in the car than some of these smaller drivers do. He's going to you know be a lot closer to that impact. Uh, so that's certainly something to keep in mind as well as we consider how, how bad this wreck could have been because of that spot. And, and I really do think 
And NASCAR R&D, by the way, last night said that they're taking uh, both Corey LaJoy, the car that hit Newman, and Newman's cars uh, back to Charlotte. Uh, research and development is going to take a look at him and really further study and see exactly how this impact uh, affected uh, the roll cages and really that spot where the driver is sitting in that spot where he needs to be the safest if something like this were to happen. Uh, so I, I do think... Safety has obviously come a long way since 2001 uh, in that last hit, especially with the driver and stability goes. Uh, the the one thing that they just really need to get to is keeping that car on the ground. And that's that sometimes is just the nature of that speed and the angles and the way you're hitting that car. But it, it's so important to keep that thing on the ground because once you're able to do that, then you're not going to get hit in the roof and have this happen. So I'm sure that even with the quote-unquote positive outcome uh, you know, of him st- still being with us, that is still something that they definitely will continue to look at and find a way to keep that car from getting airborne. Brent Morneau, Austin Lane, Stuart Weber talking about Daytona and the safety measures at Daytona. Remember, when Dale Earnhardt Sr. died, the big buzz phrase uh, was the Hans device. Yeah. Right, Stuart? Yeah. That was around the neck area and the protection of the neck and the whiplash. And uh, that was kind of the buzz for the next few years. Well, NASCAR has taken that and made this car about as safe as possible. You know what's interesting is I'm not saying guys don't get banged up and hurt and broken bones. We saw but that with so Kyle many, Busch a couple years ago in Daytona. Yes, but so many times they don't, Stuart. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. So many times you see these wrecks and they just walk away and they get back in the car tomorrow. I mean, this is, I think there are going to be some extensive injuries to Ryan Newman. That's the way this sounds. It's the way this is shaping up. But we we see some of these horrific crashes, and they literally walk away from the race, and once they get out of the car, and they get back in a car a couple of days later. I wonder if this one gives anybody pause. Over the years, and you've been to Daytona a lot, Stuart, but over the years, Daytona and restrictor plate racing and 200 miles an hour and 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 the nature of the finishes of these kind of events, Talladega and Daytona, it has been criticized. There are some folks on social media that said, I'm not watching a race anymore. I'm not watching that. I, I don't want to watch people die or come close to dying. That's too much. So there is this fine line between danger and excitement. But that's the risk they run. They know when they get into the vehicle. Where do you think it is in terms of Will there be an outcry at all about just how aggressive this racing is, this style of racing, and the crashes it obviously creates year in, year out? Yeah, it, it's certainly going to be curious to see how that goes. And it, it's kind of the, the nature of the beast we keep saying with Daytona, the fact that, yes, they're going 200 miles per hour because you know it's the second biggest track in NASCAR. It's two-and-a-half-mile trioval, so you have... Obviously, your your foot's on the the floor the entire time you're racing, and you're going to go 200 miles per hour. That's just the way the engines are and the way the cars are right now. And so that's going to lead the pack to being tighter and to having the drafting and to having cars make runs. It's just a question of how they're what they're able to do with those runs. Do do you maybe say okay, let's keep the cars how they are, let's keep the speeds how they are, but let's ban the bump drafting, let's ban the blocking maybe. Let's find a way to prevent these contacts from happening that are causing the cars to spin. I know it was on a much lesser case, but early in the race, you saw that with William Byron. He was the first one out of the race, and he just got the slightest of, you know, tap at a weird angle 
from Ricky Stenhouse Jr., and off his car went flying to the inside. Now, if his car goes flying to the outside, then who knows? You have the same possibility of it happening, what you just saw with Ryan Newman, where it goes in, maybe it turns up, and then it goes into the whole crowd of cars, and you get the big one. That's how the big one happens. It's not by a car like William Byron going to the infield. It's a car going to the outside, kind of like Logano did on his big wreck late in the race, where no one has anywhere to go, and you're just going to hit whatever's in front of you, and then it's kind of just hold on and and worry about it later. But you look at some of the other sports that deal with high speed, like Formula One and IndyCar racing, the open-wheel guys, they are a lot more regulated when it comes to the racing and how they're able to interact their car with the other cars. Like the bump, there's no bumping, you know, there's there's none of the things that really make NASCAR what it is and the excitement. I mean, rubbing is racing, right? That's mm-hmm. what you hear in Days of Thunder. That's that's the excitement. And while that's all fine and good on short tracks, like if you're at Bristol, I mean, that's great. You're going to have a beat up car. You're going to maybe at Darlington, you're going to get the old Darlington stripe on the side of your car because somebody put you into the wall that the short track racing. It's great. But when you're talking about these really high speeds and everyone's at full throttle the entire time, unless you're in the back and uh, picking up off the draft, well, then you're talking about maybe they shouldn't be making this contact with each other. Maybe they shouldn't be drafting the way they are with the the bumping on the back. And that kind of became a problem when they did the tandem racing. I know I'm getting really yes, deep did. into NASCAR stuff no, here for folks. Uh, oh, that was boring, though. Hey, yeah. it was boring. It you was. Know, that's, it was because oh, you get two car that, packs just pushing each other, and it would be like, okay, well, what are they going to do now? Yeah, and you couldn't – there was no entertainment value to it. You didn't know if there would be wrecks. You didn't know if there would be – it was just like, hey, two cars get together. It's a good team. See you later. It felt that way. You know, and this sounds super insensitive, and forgive me for it, but this is what NASCAR wrestles with. Right. They wrestle oh, yeah. with just like the start time the last couple of days. Everybody said, well, logically, start at noon or 1. Well, you know what? Ratings say start at a couple hours later and finish in prime time. Uh, so – you could have said the same thing yesterday. More people were watching because it finished last night around 7 o'clock than if they had started that thing at noon yesterday uh, on a Monday and finished around 2.30 or 3 o'clock. So they wrestle with that just like they wrestle with the risk, the danger, the excitement. And they want to push that right up to the edge. And these guys have signed up for it. They have sometimes complained about it. But, Austin, it's like if you – let's take away the injuries to Ryan Newman. Because that crash or a crash similar to that could happen at any race at Daytona. And we're talking about it. Just as much as we talk about the Hamlin win, we're saying, wow, did you see that wreck? Did you see that? And he walked away from it. Now, this one does have a little bit different feel because of the the serious nature of, of Ryan Newman's injuries. But my point being, NASCAR wants you talking about the wrecks. NASCAR wants me to say in Austin on a, on a Monday morning or a Tuesday morning in this instance, and saying, hey, man, did you see that wreck at the finish? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's the balance. Uh, the balance that it, it's no so different in that sense from football. Football, they want to keep everybody safe, but they also want a violent sport that's entertaining. Uh, yeah. So it, see, it's, yeah. it, it's, it's a fine line. The, the it's only, reality. I mean, yeah, I agree with it, but it's reality. It, it is reality, Brent, but I think in terms of football, though, I think they geared it more towards going away from the big hits and focus more on scoring. Well, you're right about that. The passing has changed that to a degree, and that's a fair point. As opposed to to, to NASCAR, man, where, you know, like a casual fan like me, I mean... Yeah, listen. I, I don't watch a lot of it, but I think fans do cheer for the for, for the crashes. They do cheer for the, you know, just like those close calls and things like that. That's what makes the sport so exciting. So 
far be it from me, you know, to be like, well, they have to, they have to change this, they got to change this now. Because listen, man, like I, I'll be honest with you, I don't watch a lot of it, so I'm not going to be this casual outside observer to come in and be like, well, they got to change this now. But it, it was kind of interesting to see last night because obviously this whole story was trending on Twitter of just how many people who don't really follow NASCAR, I would say, at least my friends that I saw tweeting about it or, or Facebooking about it, but, like, you know, the, they were they were concerned. You know, the, they're offering their insights, they're offering their thoughts. Um, and, it, and for that one moment, Brent, it was almost bigger than NASCAR. You know, like, the, the entire yeah, world yeah. Um, was talking about that crash. It was the story last night from yeah. 7 to 10 o'clock. The yeah. story. I, I don't know what other stories were happening worldwide or, I'm sorry, in the United States and, uh, and, and in real, like, news world or weather, or whatever else, but it was, in my opinion, the story, and transcended not only NASCAR, but transcended sports. You know, my mom called this morning and said, hey, were you there last night? You know, what, you know that, that's what happens on a night like last night. And that is a little bit of an outlier, because again, this is a serious situation still with Ryan Newman, but the point being, the fireworks, the crashes, the crashes Friday night in the trucks race, those are headline grabbers. Those are technically called highlights in that sport, yeah. um, which is a very dangerous thing. All right, uh, one other note, by the way, about uh, the Daytona 500. Maybe we'll revisit it a little bit later. You're more than welcome to jump in, 904-362-9901. I talked to some folks today on social media about this, and Stuart knows I've talked about this for many years. We have a very good NASCAR fan base here in Jacksonville. One of the so best. So much so that we're usually top five for the Daytona 500 and the summer race and really a lot of the races all year long in NASCAR. Well, this one uh, just came out. We were number one in the country in Jacksonville in ratings. That was bigger than Charlotte, bigger than Greensboro, North Carolina, Birmingham, Orlando, Atlanta, other places like that. Jacksonville had the highest ratings in uh, of the Daytona 500 last night than anywhere else in the country. So uh, it was. Uh, it's a big deal. And by the way, way outperforming the national average. I think the national uh, number was like a 4.4, which is, you know, th- those numbers are, are always a little bit lower, usually a little bit lower. In Jacksonville, it was close to a 15 rating. I mean, that's similar, guys, to uh, a Sunday afternoon football game in the regular season, like Fox's game of the week. Is that uh, a- outside of the Jags? You know, I mean, that's that's similar to an NFL game. Is that, uh, so more, that was a big rating. is that more of a response, though, to people that maybe went on Sunday hoping to see the race, couldn't see it, had to work the next day, and actually watched it at home then? It could be a little bit of that, Austin, but I've tracked this for years. And uh, I argue that we underserve sometimes the NASCAR audience because the ratings for this race and the race and races to follow are uh, pretty consistent. Okay. Uh, th- this, this race always does well in Jacksonville. Now, I didn't check to see if this was bigger than last year. The Monday night finish and, and in the prime time window, maybe that helped. And to your point, maybe some people leaving the track. Although I thought there was pretty decent crowds still there. It certainly wasn't what it was on Sunday. Sure. But, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know that for sure. But I'm just telling you, year in, year out, the Daytona 500 does a really good number. And week in, week out, NASCAR on Fox and on NBC when they switch over does a good number relative to the rest of the country. Yeah, and to kind of answer that for, for Austin a little bit, it. It's really the the folks in Jacksonville are the ones who probably were more likely to be able to attend the race yesterday still in Daytona than the ones from all across the country who come down for that race. It's 
uh, it's one of those events where uh, it's the Daytona 500, so obviously it attracts a lot of people from Florida, yeah. but it attracts the race fans from literally all over the country. And the a lot of lister. The, yeah, a lot of them are the ones that have to get back on the well, road and get back home, whereas people in Jacksonville could just be like, all right, I'm taking Monday off and driving the hour 15. I know it's an hour 15 because they did it four times in the last uh, six days. I guess, man, but if I'm coming from like <laughs> North Carolina, um, you know, like Tennessee or something like that, even farther away, and I drive to Daytona expecting the race and it gets rained out. I'm calling into work the next day saying, hey, I'm just going to chill here an extra day. Deal with it. You yeah. know, so I think some people, a lot of people probably did do that, that too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, I'd say tentatively looking at the bleachers, 40 to 50% full, um, which is really good when you consider it's a rain out next day kind of deal. And shout out to whoever put in the multicolor seats because uh, that's smart. Brilliant. Very smart. Brilliant. Because you can't no. tell when there's people sitting sure. in or they not. They should do it in area. Jacksonville. Seriously. No, I'm not kidding. It's a brilliant idea. You cannot tell. Like, you can be, Stuart, I don't know how close you need to be to it, but, like, when we're walking in from our parking spot, I I have to, like, double take and say, is that a fan or not? Like, you know, it's an... It's a smart. It was ingenious. Other than the best, such the best move. seats that start finish, which are turned into a checkered, uh, checkered yes. formation with black and white seats. Other than that, yeah, you couldn't tell. I mean, it looks like one big le- Lego. It's great. Build. Oh yeah. I mean, that's what it looks like. Uh, hey, Stuart. Before we let you go, yes. Uh, high school all over the place tonight. We'll be everywhere, right? Oh yeah. We. Uh, it, it's interesting because there's so many games tonight. There are. 12 total playoff games across girls' basketball and soccer. 11 of them are home games in our area. So 11 out of the 12 games are here at home. I'll give you a quick rundown of them. Girls' basketball, uh, you got Mainland at Creekside, uh, Rickards at Middleburg, St. Augustine at Pine Forest, Rebold at Reigns, by the way, playing for the fourth time this fourth time. year. Yeah. And as many people in the area know, Rebolt has the historically great uh, girls basketball program, winning many state titles and heck national you know consideration as well. Reigns has beat them all three times this year, so uh, a good chance for Rebolt to win the one that matters the most in the postseason. Uh, we'll see how that goes tonight. Pensacola at Bishop Kenny, and then North Florida Educational Institute at University Christian. Those are the basketball games, and then uh, soccer leans heavily towards our St. Johns County and private schools with. Bartram Trail home, Creekside home, Ponte Vedra is home. They're hosting Stanton, so that's an all-local matchup. Bishop Kenny is home. Bowles is hosting Episcopal in another one of those uh, all-local matchups. And St. John's Country Day, the national power, will play host to McClay. So all those games coming up tonight. Uh, 7 o'clock starts. If you want to go support your local programs, your local teams, go check it out. If not, check out Action News Jacks tonight because we will be all over the place. Yes, that's why I'm here at Creekside High School. I'll pick up a couple games down in St. John's County. By the way, uh, in-show betting, Austin, Coos, I don't know. This one could be real. I'm having a hard time paying attention because there are two queen bees that are like huge. And uh, they are floating around me. So in-show betting, do I get stung or not? Well, first of all, that's not possible. There there won't be two queen bees by you. ever one. Yeah. Oh, it's really? So, yeah. You're a liar. Well, what was the other one? A king bee? I don't know, man. You tell me. I just saw two of them. Well, then they were probably they two were not two queens. Bees. Yeah, there's probably one, two worker one bees, queen two, bee two drones, hive. Brent, I, I grew up on a bee farm, man. So you Do can't you have two chill? queens. No, the, the two queens cannot coexist with each other. All right, I'm gonna get to the bottom of this. I'll take pictures. <laughs> I just told you. Take pictures, what more please. Do you want me to yes. say? All right. Bottom line is, do I get stung by a queen bee or not? 
That's the in-show betting line today. I don't think the queens sting. Yeah, the, if there's two of them, they're not queens. So. Hey, well, let's establish right now. They aren't queen bees. You're All right, the stung. line is off. The line's off. <laughs> okay. I'll be back. We'll right. be back. We'll talk football next on ESPN 690. The sport's been very fortunate uh, to not have anything freak or weird happen. Uh, you know, for, for many, many years, but uh, a lot of that is because of the development and the constant strive to make things better and safer. That is Denny Hamlin talking about the crash last night involving Ryan Newman. Uh, that uh, we are about to give an update on in just a moment. Uh, we also have a Yannick Ngakwe cryptic message once again. That's coming up. I'm not sure if this one's as cryptic. Oh, Brent, uh, well, it's cryptic. Don't worry. Is it? Okay, oh, yeah. you guys have seen it. I I was trying to find it. So cryptic. Let me first uh, let me go to the Ryan Newman news. I just got this in. Bear with me. Hang on for one second. Uh, here it is. Update on Rush Fenway Racing driver Ryan Newman. They just issued this in the last five minutes. Ryan Newman remains under the care of doctors at Halifax Medical Center in Daytona Beach, Florida, which is like 100 yards from the track. He is awake and speaking with family and doctors. That's the big update. He is awake and speaking with family and doctors. Very good news. A positive update from Rush Fenway. Ryan and his family have expressed their appreciation for the concern and heartfelt messages from across the country. They are grateful for the unwavering support of the NASCAR community and beyond. We will continue to provide information as it becomes available. So really good news that Ryan Newman is awake and speaking with family and doctors. Again, I am not sitting here and speculating on anything. Uh, I don't know if that's recent. I don't know if that was happening last night or this morning and they just decided to give this update. They still have not said the extent of injuries, surgeries, all those things. Uh, you got to believe his body took uh, such a pounding in that accident last night uh, at Daytona International Speedway. But not going to speculate on what it is. The good news, two majorly good updates in the last, oh, what we're going on now is, uh, I'll do some quick math, about 17, 18 hours and that was NASCAR last night on behalf of uh, the family and Roush Fenway saying that he had non-life-threatening injuries but was still in serious condition. And then the update here did not update his condition at all uh, of the serious nature or not, but it did say he is awake and speaking to family and doctors. So we'll keep you posted if there are any new developments in the uh, Ryan Newman uh, situation down there at Daytona International Speedway, obviously a scary site. We've talked a lot about it in the first hour of our show uh, here on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Brent Martineau here at Creekside High School. A lot of big high school events going on uh, in the area, including here in St. John's County. There are four different events going on right here at Creekside High School, uh, so I'll be covering some of those on the TV side tonight, CBS 47 and Fox 30. Uh, Austin Lane back in the Action Sports Shack studios along with Coos. And uh, we're going to get into quarterbacks and second-year quarterbacks. We'll do that as it relates to Gardner Minshew in just a moment. We have Jason Fitz coming up, we believe, as well at the top of the hour. We only have a couple minutes here. Guys, give me an update. I need an update. Yannick Ngakwe, cryptic tweets or Instagrams. Where is he at now? What's the latest? What does it mean? Does it make sense? Coos, music. Oh, that's good. That's kind of Terminator-ish, but we can win with that. Coos, you want to say you want to read it? I don't have it up. Oh, okay, don't worry, I got it. So, and I don't have Instagram, so on Yannick Oh, you found it. So on Yannick Ngakwe's Instagram, he posts a picture of himself with the phrase "new chapter airplane emoji." 
New chapter dot airplane emoji. Now, keep in mind, Brent, this is where it gets very interesting. Is he reading a book on planes? No, I mean, he could have been. But new chapter, capital N, you know, then space for chapter, capital C. North Carolina. North Carolina. And guess who chimed in? Jermaine Carter Jr. of the Carolina Panthers saying, break the MF bank. Brent, something happening with the Carolina Panthers? I don't think so. I'm not going to lie. The the, the, the the first part was a lot cooler than the second part of the song. <laughs> okay, not going to lie. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, <laughs> Got cryptic, a little weird. Cryptic Yon tweets Instagrams has even put Austin on the gram momentarily. Well, I'm not on the gram, but there, there, there are ways around it, Brent, if I really have to you know, find something. Uh, bottom line here is we're a month away from free agency. <laughs> so Jan can tweet and cryptically say whatever he wants to say. Yep. But and, and I don't say this in a mean-spirited way. We like you know, we've, we've, we think Jan should get paid. We love to see the Jags uh, reward Jan. I mean, that's been pretty common. But I think a lot of people want to see Jan stay. But quite frankly, for the next month, Jan really doesn't have any power. Mm. He doesn't. Am no, I wrong? No, you're, you're absolutely not wrong. Uh, absolutely not. I think, you know, I mean, listen, this is just, it's a stupid post on Instagram. Who knows what <laughs> it means? Couldn't mean anything at all. I love just kind of making a mockery of it because that's what the players want, right? Like players post these things so people like you and I can break these things down. So, if anything, I mean, if there is intentions behind this, Brent, it's obviously trying to be a little bit of a power play to be like, you know what, you guys can franchise, take me if you want, but my foot's already in the airport, you know? Yeah, my yeah. foot's already in the parking lot to go someplace else. So, I think it's more of just, you know, kind of showing where he's at right now more than anything. But once again, it's an Instagram post. Yeah. Who and knows? I, it's interesting. When Maurice Jones Drew told us at the Super Bowl, he told Jan, he said, stay out of the media. Yeah. So, he's not talking, but you get the feeling that Jan really wants to talk. Of course. <laughs> I'm here to listen, man. And if you keep posting uh, on Instagram, I'll keep breaking them down. Jan wants to be king, and I've got one queen bee in my eye sight right here. <laughs> Just one for now. I'm taking pictures. We're yeah, back take with a picture Jason and send Spencer. it to me. And second-year quarterbacks is the conversation next on ESPN 690. You know, I, I really think... Uh, the thing I thought before, Carlos a great teammate, what he did, go out there and defend their teammates, it's, it's amazing, that's, that's the only thing I, I have to say. Are you, are you offended, upset, obviously, about what Bell tried to say? Well, I have not uh, nothing to say okay. uh, about, about hand at all. Oh, that's Jose Altuve, my favorite player in the league, maybe. Well, he's about to go to the goal, right? He's about to lead the league and hit by pitches. About to go through the gauntlet, Brent. Hope you're uh, ready for that. Yeah, I know, and I don't. I don't know how I feel about the whole thing, um, player to player. You know, I know how I feel about the whole thing in general. I don't like it, but uh, I, I just don't uh, know how this season is going to go. I'd love to see those guys play well and justify how good of players they are without this whole sign stealing scandal that is important and no doubt, in my opinion, helped benefit them uh, during that run and maybe even the last few years. Brent Morton here at Creekside High School. Got a lot of high school events going on tonight. We'll have it for you on the TV side of things as well. This is the backdrop. Action Sports Jacks, uh, Austin Lane in the studios in Jacksonville along with Coos. And right now in Bristol, Connecticut, probably at Mike Golick Jr.'s house, I assume. That's kind of where he hangs out, I think. <laughs> I don't know if you pay rent there or what, but we welcome in Jason Fitz. What's up, man? 
Hey, you know what? I actually made it to my own house today after <laughs> after a long day. I was like, you know what? There's a turning point here where I'm either going to end up at the office until 7 o'clock tonight or I'm going to go home now and uh, put my feet up while I talk to some people. So I am uh, I'm lounging now knowing that I made it through uh, several weeks of double duty, and it feels good. That's awesome. Uh, good to have you on, and thanks for uh, joining us here on a Tuesday on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. All right, I want to get to a few things. And Austin has a, a great topic of second-year quarterbacks, but but quick hitters. Uh, one, the baseball sign stealing and where this has gone. It's not ending. It's elevating, escalating. Uh, what is your take on this, and will it be uh, not covered up but go away a little bit once they throw the first pitch and the season actually begins? I can't say no loud enough to whether or not it'll go away. It's only going to get louder as the season goes on because every single time the Astros visit a city for the first time, they'll be reminded by the local fans of what those fans think of them. And then ultimately all eyes will be on the Astros every single game as we try and figure out if there is and should there be and will there be retaliation. And my God, the first time a player is suspended for retaliating, right or wrong, the first time that player is suspended, and we all realize that that one player suspended for retaliation has been suspended more than the entire Astros team did for cheating their way to a World Series, there will be an uproar. So, no, I think this is going to lord over the Major League Baseball season for the majority of the year. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see that, how long it does last, Austin. Well, exactly. And to be fair, Jason, like, is this going to actually help the ratings as crazy as that sounds? Like, Are people going to be tuning in those, those first couple of weeks to see the Astros kind of get their comeuppance, if you will? Yeah, and I, I, I would have thought that was a crazy take a couple of weeks ago. And then somebody mentioned it the other day. One of our baseball people mentioned it the other day. said, hey, in a weird way, this could be a, a real benefit. And you're right. I mean, we're going to be watching more. We'll be talking about Major League Baseball more than we have in a generation, night in and night out, because of this. So, yeah, in a weird, weird way, in a way that Rob Manford probably didn't want, you know, as everybody just goes for that piece of metal, it'll be done uh, with more eyeballs. Jason Fitz with us from ESPN. Hey, Jason, you're my, like, pulse on a national level compared to what we experience sometimes on a local level. I'm going to do that on two different subjects here. First, NASCAR. Uh, Jacksonville for the Daytona 500, the highest-rated market in the country. Big numbers. How big of a topic was the Daytona 500, the crash, and and Hamlin's history-making win today on the national level? Well, I think the crash, obviously, and as tragic as it is, and I think I heard Christine Lisi give a a health update there. You guys were coming back that, you know, it it looks like, you know, things are getting better. The crash is what really made it the big conversation, and, you know, that's that's strange, um, and it's the right way it should be. I feel bad for Denny Hamlin, though, because it didn't really allow for there to be the conversation that he probably deserves for what he accomplished in winning the race. But, you know, that's just where we are. I think nationally it, it get, garnered so much attention because it was a crash that, frankly, looked like something out of a movie, and, and you just don't even think it's real as you watch the replay of it. So uh, incredibly lucky for the NASCAR community that tragedy was avoided. All right, my second topic for Jason Fitz, the temperature gauge, is Yannick Ngakwe. Yannick Ngakwe here in Jacksonville is a star. He's 24 years old, going to be 25. He's second in franchise history in sacks. Second in franchise history in sacks, and he's played four seasons for the Jacksonville Jaguars. The fans want Yannick Ngakwe back. They, they love Yannick Ngakwe, but he wants out. There are a lot of pass rushers on the market this year. I think from a national standpoint, Yannick has not got his due 
during his first four seasons in the NFL, partly because most people probably don't know even how to pronounce his name. So give me a temperature on Yannick Ngakwe as it relates to other pass rushers. Uh, he thinks he's a top three pass rusher in the league. Uh, what do you think from a broad view on Yannick Ngakwe and his marketability uh, if he hits the free agent market uh, this offseason? Well, you're, you're right. He hasn't gotten a lot of national prep and uh, or pump, and, and that sort of surprises me because I do think he's an incredible player. I think he is absolutely – I think he's a building block sort of player. The problem that he faces a couple of them, one, as he became loudly disenfranchised with being in Jacksonville, there were other players that were even louder and bigger names. So I think he just sort of fell by the wayside nationally on that conversation. And the reason that he hasn't gotten enough hype going into this offseason is that Damian Clowney is out there to be had in this free agent market. And I saw one uh, Bill Barnwell article on ESPN.com where they sort of put different players at different spots that had Jadavion pulling in, no joke, $25 million a year in wow. his contract with much of a guarantee. So we are looking at a world where there is a thought that Jadavion Clowney will set the new market for pass rushers at between 20 and $25 million a year. Wow. Now, for Ngakwe, that is, a, that is a great thing because even if he's only the second or third biggest uh, the biggest piece that somebody can acquire right there at that position, my God, he is going to get epically paid. And I think that Jags fans need to understand that if the market for Clowney is 25, then Ngakwe is going to pull himself 16, 18, 20 million. That's a lot of money for the Jags to try and find. And this Austin, is a, you should not have tr- jumped to the MMA so quickly, man. I know, You man. should have stuck that thing out a well, little more. That's what I get for being good at stopping the run and not being a good pass rusher. <laughs> I got an ESPN 690 yeah, radio, baby. Come on. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure a pro football focus had me at about an 80 grade. Whatever that means, no idea. But, um, but Brett, you know, the, the, the frustrating part for me, and I talked to it ad nauseum, but it needs repeating here because I think Jason has brought up a great point with Clowney. You know, Clowney's going to set the market once again. And we go back to last year a little bit. You had guys like Frank Clark and Demarcus Lawrence. You know, they essentially set the market. They're making over $100 million a year, you know, I mean, for, for the, for the their total, um, you know, playing the National Football League. And I was so adamant about, well, if that's the market and you're Yannick Ngakwe going in in 2019, then just give him what Frank Clark's making. Give him what Demarcus Lawrence is making because he has no right to say that he wants more money. Unfortunately, the Jaguars don't do that. Yannick Ngakwe bets on himself, and now what happens? He's probably going to make more money than Frank Clark did in 2019 and more money than Demarcus Lawrence and probably have even more, better stats than they will last year as well. Um, yeah, yeah, and that is, Austin, that is a great point. Like, we all, we all fans freak out about new markets being set. Remember that the minute the market is set, two years later, it's been reset by somebody, and that player is now a value. And I'll always go back, like, look at the way people freaked out about the money that Derek Carr was paid to be the quarterback of the Raiders, and now all of a sudden at the back end of that deal, he's the 13th, 14th highest paid quarterback in the NFL. That's what happens. You pay pay your guy early and just get rip the Band-Aid off, get it over with, and then the market resets itself, and suddenly you've actually got a bargain long term. So, Jason, every once in a while, I actually have to do some homework for this show, you know, and I have to put my two cents in. So, well, last night I was doing a little pondering, and I'm always a big proponent of football players in that, you know, in the NFL, they make their biggest strides from their rookie year to their second year. And I think nothing can be said more than the quarterback position. If we go back to Carson Wentz back in 2016, what happens next year? He was an MVP candidate before he gets hurt. Eagles still go to the Super Bowl thanks to Nick Foles. 2017, here comes Mahomes. Sits behind Smith. He gets a little playing time his rookie year. Next season, what happens? Blows the doors off the league. And then this past season, 
Lamar Jackson, 2018 draft pick, you know, plays a little bit, plays sparingly during the regular season, comes in for the playoffs, you know, leads Baltimore, um, actually a pretty successful season, and now this season, he's like the, the new quarterback, he's the new it thing. So my point is, if we look at the history right now, the past couple years, it seems like every single year a quarterback makes that progression. He goes from that rookie guy to the second year guy and just takes the league by storm. If you want to analyze the quarterbacks right now in this past season's draft class, you got Daniel Jones, you got Drew Locke, you got Dwayne Haskins, Kyler Murray, Gardner Minshew, and maybe Will Greer, but I don't know about Will Greer, but we got Minshew as well. Out of that, those list of quarterbacks right there, Jason, what quarterback can, you know, find the new echelon and be the real deal in season number two? For the, I, I guess, if I, gosh, I mean, that's a real reminder of what a lame quarterback class this was. I'm going to take Kyler Murray in that. I mean, I mean, we're we're talking about a world where we still haven't gotten any serious indication that Dwayne Haskins is believed in by the new coaching staff to the point that some articles have said that if Alex Smith is healthy, he'll get a shot at getting that job. And, and that's it's just a stunning moment to me. I still think Daniel Jones is okay, not great. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, uh, Drew Locke is not somebody I believe in, so – I'm going to take Kyler Murray and say that, you know, the, the the numbers he put in last year were pretty good. As the season went on, the biggest thing to me is they let him push the ball a little bit further downfield. He got a little away from just get the ball out of his hand right away. So Kyler Murray could take a step forward. But I'll say, to contradict myself right away, I also have to point out that everybody got this offseason. They'll, they'll get this offseason to study Cliff Kingsbury and this offense that was supposed to be revolutionary around Kyler Murray. So, man, that's just a reminder that, Sometimes you're looking at a, a draft class and it's just hot garbage, you know, and, and <laughs> we get so worried about getting the quarterback and it's like, good Lord. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just keep building a roster and wait on a quarterback. I said that in fairness. I said it before last year's draft. If you were a quarterback needy team, just sit back and wait. And, man, when you read that list, I feel like I was smart. Yeah, Jason Fitz uh, from ESPN, uh, first take your take, 1 to 3 p.m. Uh, across the country, but here in Jacksonville on ESPN 690. And uh, we want your ratings to do really well. So just end that with a big, loving message about Gardner Minshew, please. <laughs> oh, my God. You know what? If anybody stands a chance, why not Gardner? I mean, he's going to get the playing time. Like, he's going to get the opportunity to go in and win the, win the job. And at the end of the day, we've seen at the very least he's a sensation. At the very most, he's even more than that. So why not? Why not Gardner? Yeah, I, I you know, I, there's a lot to be said about Gardner Mitchell. Our thoughts overall, well, mine, I don't want to speak for Austin, and said you got to play him and see what you have because we saw some things. Now, can it be consistent? Does it elevate? Keep in mind, for Gardner Mitchell, I, I think Austin and I mentioned this the other day, we didn't even talk about it. The guy has not been in a place for two consecutive seasons since high school. So he has the luxury to do that. Now, it will be a different offense because of Jay Gruden. But he finally has some comfortability in his life that he knows what exists when he's going into year number two instead of going to a different state, different campus, different whatever. And so I wonder how that does. Very smart guy picking up offenses. Uh, and, and just to follow up on that, his numbers are comparable, if not, in his words, as he said, better than Kyler Murray. I am still not sold on Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury. What do you think uh, most people around the league feel about it? The book's still open, Jason? Uh, is there hope yeah, the that book, that can the, turn the, into something, or what? No, the book's really still open on that. I, I, I don't think there's a lot of people that are shaking right now at Kyler Murray. You know, And, and you make a really good point, by the way. I, I have to say loud and proud, like, 
Jay Gruden can coach offenses. Jay Gruden knows how to get a lot out of a quarterback. So, you know, let's not get anything twisted about Jay Gruden just because the Redskins think if failing as a Redskins coach was a reason to give up on a coach, there'd be most of them in history that were given up on, right? Like, <laughs> that's the way that organization works. But let's remember what Jay Gruden accomplished with the Bengals and Andy Dalton, you know? So, uh, I, I, I'll, I'll tip my hat to Jay all day long on what he could do with the quarterback. So, you know, you make a really compelling point there. And I, I think that the, the book is absolutely 100% still out on Kyler Murray, and I don't think a lot of people are, are sitting back there saying, oh, God, now we have to face Kyler, and that's what you would expect from a top overall pick. That's why I just don't think it was there last year. Jason, real quick, you said why not Gardner Minshew. My question to you being a Raiders fan, obviously, is why not Derek Carr? Because once again, you know, it's as tale as old as time now, it seems like, where people are kind of discrediting Derek Carr and saying we have to go in a different direction once again. Yeah, I think I don't think the Raiders are going in a different direction. Carr will be back. He's a value. He doesn't cost them a ton of money now or moving forward, and they get another opportunity to look at it. And I would just challenge anybody that has a problem with Derek. Yes, there are bad things about his game. I'm not saying he's an epic quarterback, but look at who he threw the ball to and tell me what wide receiver <laughs> once they lost Antonio Brown. Like, you tell me who the threat was there. So as much as people are like, I want you to push the ball downfield, I love that narrative for quarterbacks that doesn't account for the fact that, I don't know, Wide receivers have to get open, and they didn't have any that could do that. So I think Derek Carr is going to take a big step forward this year because the Raiders are going to address their weapons. So uh, I, I think he's back, and he's the starting quarterback of the Raiders. And if they decide to go with Tom Brady, which would shock me, Derek Carr will go somewhere and I think have immediate success. Yeah, we got to let you run, but uh, doesn't it seem like the rumblings on Tom Brady are like, it's like Oakland, well, the Raiders going to Vegas. It's their version of bringing, like, Celine Dion and Garth Brooks to the Vegas Strip for some shows. <laughs> I mean, it's like you've got to make a splash in Vegas, right? Uh, yeah, but it, it's going to feel, it's a little bit more like Wayne Newton, I'm just saying. It's a little, you know, I'm just saying. Hey, I don't know if Celine Dion's still making splashes, man. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Not still, but when Celine Dion, I think she was one of the first ones to sign like that, one of those big deals, right, in Vegas? Oh, yeah, like the, 80 or $90 million dollars to go out yeah. there and fill in. See yeah, that, Austin? Prince, see that? You, you could have named 100 DJs that like have you know places, in hotels right now where they're DJing. You could have named Marshmallow, Steve Aoki, but you go Celine Dion, dude? I'm All just right. spitting facts here. Okay. I mean, I you probably can't even like Britney Spears, too. I think she's got a residency as well. I, I almost went to Band Perry. Shout out to Perry. Jason Fitz. Not hey, I would have taken that Celine paycheck all day. I would have taken that Celine paycheck all day. You know what? Austin, you, you should have stayed in the NFL. I should have played in Vegas. Like, that's, <laughs> now we're learning our mistakes. Hey, Jason, have a good day, man. Feet up. Uh, go get some rest, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Appreciate the time. Thanks, you all right, Jason Fitz, uh, listen to him 1-3, to three, Monday through Friday. First take your take right before our show on ESPN 690. Good guy. Always have a lot of fun with him. And uh, Celine Dion, man, she was like the first one to Vegas. I mean, come on. I, I, I bet did it Cher? Well, what about Cher? I, th- I think did Cher. Did Cher do something? Did Cher do something? In Vegas? Shame on one of you, those deals? I think so, man. Let's look, <laughs> I'm going to look that up. She has to, right? Sure. Hey. hey. I think there are two queen bees up here following me around. <laughs> All right, when we come back, uh, I don't know. Yes, what the shares in Vegas nonstop. Don't worry about her, dude. She's is crushing it. Still alive? Like, is he still doing the Vegas thing? Is Probably. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> All right, sorry. Uh, Action yeah. Sports Jackson, ESPN six ninety. It continues right after this. Action Sports.
Sports Jacks with Brent Martineau on ESPN 690 is brought to you by Best Bet Jacksonville and Orange Park. Now, the first alert forecast on ESPN 690. This is the first jump, and you know when you talk to people with the Bucks, for instance, mm-hmm. you kind of get this sentiment there that like they're waiting to see how things kind of fall out here that they're not necessarily sold on Jameis but they also are kind of keeping that in their back pocket as they wait to see what becomes available uh same with Carolina when they talk about Cam Newton it doesn't feel all that great of an endorsement there from Dave Tepper so all of a sudden now Drew Brees staying feels like it should feel like something that's maybe uh calms the waters but instead Teddy Bridgewater now much more likely to hit the free agent market and go somewhere else that's interesting. That's Jeff Darlington from ESPN. Yeah, I, and I I don't really think Drew Brees factored into the really the rest of the free agent quarterback waters very much. I understand the point being if he retired, then New Orleans might be in the market, uh, whether it's keep Teddy Bridgewater or someone else. So I mean I guess, but I just don't know if he's the he's a huge domino as other folks might be, Tom Brady potentially, uh, if the Raiders choose to do something and then Carr becomes like available, uh, the, the Cam Newton situation, uh, could be any of those. But uh, we'll talk more about Drew Brees coming back. And Teddy Bridgewater, $30 million a year? What kind of world are we living in? Mm. What kind of world are we living in? I don't know about that. Brent Morton here at Creekside High School. And... Uh, Austin Lane back in the Action Sports Jack studios. What are you guys doing back there? Do you know oh, your mics the, are on, by the way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we got busted. There's, oh, Brent, it's, it's World War Three in here right now. It is, the energy is oh. nuclear. Okay. Is, that because, is that because I'm at Creekside? Not in the studio, buddy. Is that because I'm at Creekside High School and, and you're mad that I'm not at Bartram? Well, there's that. That yeah. you and I have our own bone to pick on that. But no, this was uh this is a heated battle <laughs> this is between Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera. Who you yeah. got? Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, gosh, there's been so many different reincarnations and so many not so good ones of Britney Spears. Um I feel like she's like had twenty different persons in her own do we body. not remember the christina aguilera dirty phase do we not remember that phase of hers where she's yeah. like now he's, and now just for the record the everybody, for ring. the record everybody austin's using this as an argument against christina aguilera well because we got into the topic of who's more i was of, leading of britney spears britney but. spears or christina aguilera yes now don't get me wrong christina aguilera way better voice she's a talented yes. singer natural yes. i think britney spears is more produced but you cannot tell me that the Christina Aguilera dirty phase was not the sleuziest of the sleuzes. Um, Is that a word? Sleuze, by the way? Yeah. I thought it was sleaze. No, uh, sleuze. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. I like that. Yep. Okay. That's good. Um, that's slander? a powerful argument. But I'm going with Christina Aguilera. Staying, staying firm on that. Yeah, I, I, I didn't mind either. Uh, but I would probably, I would say back at that time, I would probably was more Britney Spears. There it is, Brent. Thank you very much. Wholesome, <sighs> wholesome family man. Wow. That's what we need. Wholesome, yes. That's what, we that's what I think of when I think of Britney Spears. That's, that's what we wholesome. Need wholesome. Wholesome stuff, man. I love it, man. Oh, gosh. I, I, I just, I'm going to go get stung by a bee. I can't believe I can't believe, I can't believe I had to answer that question. Well, since we're on the topic, one more question for you. Um, <laughs> because this is the other debate. Celine Dion or Cher? <laughs> 
No doubt, Celine Dion. There we go. 50%. You batted 50%. You, one for one. One for two. Yeah. Whoa. You pallets are just trash, both of you. I'm so disappointed <laughs> in you guys. Uh, there's, a, there's, an, there's an elegance to Celine Dion. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Again, powerful voice. Dude, Cher doesn't age though, Brent. Like the, the girls that's are doing because it for like the she's past had century. some serious two centuries. I'm sorry. Help. <laughs> well, she doesn't age because she. Never mind. I'm no, gonna John, stop. John, I'm stopping. Don't make I'm stopping. accusations. We don't know, man. I, you don't know that. Yeah. Yes, right. yes, I do. You don't know that. Yes, I do. <laughs> this is going to Shame be great. All right. Okay. We're gonna, John, hang yeah. around for a minute or two. All right, because we're gonna we'll get to what's coming up tonight. But right now. Uh, Rick Catlett, uh, president and CEO of Gator Bowl Sports, is stopping in, <laughs> and he's on the phone oh, and because man. we got, I think, Florida and Florida State tickets go on sale today for the March 24th baseball game, which is always a huge crowd, so we're going to ask Rick about it. But before we get there, Rick, you are not prepared for this question. You can back out of this question, <laughs> but you are going to be asked the question. And these guys just asked me, uh, Austin and, and John Bachman, they put me on the spot, Celine Dion or Cher? Say what? <laughs> <laughs> well, it started with you Britney Spears might, or Christine Aguilera. Little, you guys might have be having a little bit too much fun there. I don't know. You know, I know that marijuana is not legal yet in America. But... Oh, wow! Wow! I know, right? Hey. It's a crazy question because Cher is so much superior than Celine Dion. I get what he's saying. Hey, hey Rick, you, you hey, bring I'm a bench. I'm a Cher person, by the way. Just My so you man. Know. Hey, right. there you go. Right. There he is. But, but, hey, this is a serious question, okay? You bring events to Jacksonville. You've done it for a long time. Yes, I have. Uh, in, in the heyday, which would have been a bigger draw, Celine Dion or Cher? Oh, Cher by far. <laughs> okay. That's two for two. I and love for it. a lot longer, like for 20 years. Okay. Yeah. But, you, but you remember when Cher got rid of Sonny, she she went to a place where we all wanted to go with her. <laughs> she was having a good time in life. You know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. That's true. I hear you. That's uh, true. Turning back time. Yes, sir. Hey, you hey. can have white lace or you can have black, black leather. Now, which one are you going to choose? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, Rick Catlin with us, president and CEO of Gatorville Sports. Hey, you guys got the baseball game back. It's coming up uh, March 24th. At the uh, at Breakingfield, the baseball grounds, uh, you guys fired up about that. Tickets go on sale today. Uh, tell everybody about it. Well, you know we put it on. We put the, the tickets on sale today, and we've had, we've gone through our renewals. We've sold about forty five hundred tickets already, so we're wow. really excited about this year having the game again. And um, you know, it's uh, it's a great opportunity for for Jacksonville to host one of the three games they play each other each year. And uh, baseball grounds of Jacksonville, such a beautiful facility. Now we've got to just figure out how to get one of their championships, either the ACC or the SEC baseball championships, back to, to Jacksonville. And, and we're working hard on the ACC. We had that one time and we were very successful. So uh, hopefully the Knowles will bring them a bunch of people and the Gators will bring a bunch of people and we'll sell it out for the fifth year in a row. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, you know, I did not realize it was a renewal-based type of ticket. Uh, so what's the next phase of this? What if you're not a renewal? How do you get a ticket? You can uh, go to Ticketmaster. You can go to GatorBowlSports.com. Or the best thing to do, Brent, is to go down to the uh, arena box office because you don't have, you know, the one thing I hate about Ticketmaster is their fees. You take a $15 ticket and turn it into $23. Um, that's the easiest way to get tickets. Um, but the best, the cheapest way to get tickets is go down and buy that $15 ticket for about 17 bucks with a dollar and a quarter fee on it. And, 
Um, that's really what I would suggest. Now, they have some funny hours. You have to go online and find out when the city box office is open. Uh, it's like four. It's like 10 in the morning to 4 in the afternoon, Monday through Friday. But if you can get by there, that's the best place to buy them. And um, I don't think that they'll be lasting very long like they did last year. We sold out two before the game. Wow, how about that? Uh, Rick Catlett with us, uh, President and CEO of Gator Bowl Sports. We haven't caught up with you in a while, so let me ask you this. You guys had a fantastic Tax Slayer Gator Bowl. How, have, how has the reaction been ever since then? Do you feel momentum, something like that, even though it was now a couple of months ago? Uh, but it was a big day for you guys, and I know a, a great draw. Yeah, we're getting ready to go out for our ticket renewals um, for the bowl game. And, you know, Brent, in the old days, you could, you could have one of these games all the time. Uh, but it was great finally to get another great game. Um, the, a huge crowd. The economic impact on Jacksonville was off the charts this year. Um, so it's, it did everything we were supposed to do uh, for the purpose of having that game here in Jacksonville. And we're just excited to continue. Uh, we're in the process of signing new six-year deals with everybody this year. Going forward, with the will be a SEC versus ACC matchup. We'll no longer have the Big Ten involved. And uh, we think that works good because of the uh, proximity of the schools to Jacksonville. And, of course, a new uh, six-year deal with uh, ESPN to carry the game, which is important. And then TaxLayer has extended their agreement another three years. So just about the only thing we've got left is renting the stadium. And we're working with the city and should have that wrapped up soon. So we'll be good for another six years. Very good. Uh, Rick Catlin with us, uh, President and CEO of Gator Bowl Sports. All right, let me leave you with this one. Uh, it's been a tough couple weeks around here for Jaguars and Jaguars fans. You guys uh, had an agreement with the Jags or have an agreement with the Jags uh, where they have taken over, I believe, and you explain it, correct me, but some of your operation, and there's a partnership. How, uh, aside from everything that's just happened the last couple of month, uh, weeks and then aside from the season that was, how is that relationship working out? Has it been beneficial? It's not only been a tremendous advantage to both organizations, uh, it saved us about $800,000 in operating expenses. Um, that's that's good for our bottom line. That's good for the community. Um, you know, they're good people and they care about Jacksonville. And I know there's been a lot going on the last two months, I guess. But I have to tell you something. Uh, for those people that even hint at the fact that they may be leaving, why are they investing their own money in a public facility? Why are they doing partnership deals with us? Why are they working Daly's Place? Why are they doing all these other things? Uh, for the community, by the way, uh, I just don't, I don't get that philosophy. I understand I didn't want another game going over there either. Uh, but the reality is they're doing everything they can to stay in Jacksonville. And, you know, in 1992, if these people that are upset now would have said, hey, wouldn't it be nice to have an NFL team? Well, we got one. And this is what it takes to keep that NFL team here in Jacksonville. So yeah, yeah. Um, we're going to continue to work with them. In fact, we're expanding our partnership. So uh, we're very excited to, to be a partner uh, with Mark Lamping and all the other people over there. Well, that's good to hear, uh, Rick. Uh, and by the way, Lot J gets built. All those things downtown also will benefit uh, Florida-Georgia game, Georgia-Florida game. I say both around here. And uh, Tax Slayer Gator Bowl and events like Coming to the baseball grounds uh, at March 24th, Florida, Florida State baseball game has been a big hit. Hope you sell it out for a fifth year in a row. We'll be there, of course, and uh, everybody go out and get your tickets. Rick, thanks for stopping by, man. Good talking to you. All right, Brent. Nice talking to you. Take care. See you guys later. See you, Rick. All right. Thank you. Uh, Brent Martin. Oh, sorry, guys. I hogged that interview, didn't I? Uh, Austin Lane, John Bachman back on it. Uh, um, 
What do you think? See, he went share. Are you all excited about that, Austin? Yeah, well, as you guys are doing the interview, I was, I was doing some more research oh. on Cher and Celine Dion. Check this out, John Bachman. Do you know how many uh, number one hits Celine Dion has had? I bet it's less than share. You better believe it. Uh, so Celine Dion's had a respectable 11 number one hits That's on, on the Billboard. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, share goes, hold my Botox. 18 <laughs> number one signal, hey, singles. Game over. Thanks for playing. John Bachman, we'll see you tomorrow, man. Thanks for, hey, thanks for stopping by, John. It's not that even close, awesome. man. Well, well played not even with close. hold my Botox. Well not played. Not even close, man. <laughs> okay. I forgot everything you said because you finally nailed the line. That yeah, was good. Yeah, that was well played. <laughs> that's, 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 that is well played. Hey, let's move on, shall we? Let's I mean, especially yeah. since I'm losing this argument right now. Let's move on. <laughs> let's go. What do you got tonight, man? Well, uh, we actually have a very busy day. In fact, that's why I'm gonna, I got to roll because we have a bunch of stuff going on right now. We've got two really big stories breaking right now. The first one is that JSO is looking for a 10-year-old kid right now who walked away from school. Uh, Sam Booker, I've tweeted a picture. Actually, I retweeted JSO's post, so go to Bachman A. and Jax if you want to look to see what he looks like. Um, this is from Long Branch Elementary. This afternoon on Franklin Street. They've got an active search for him right now. Uh, we're working to learn exactly, you know, what the situation was that uh, had him walking out of out of class, basically. Um, we also have a, a kid hit by a car on 103rd Street near Westview K through 8. Um, so that's something we're working on. We've got a reporter there to try to get more information to see how that child is doing right now. Um, and then the good news, which I think you've already mentioned to everybody listening, is that uh, Ryan Newman is awake and talking. That is uh, coming out of uh, the hospital there. Uh, in Daytona, which is good news. All right, uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, good, another update there. Uh, we we delivered at the top of the hour, but that's good. Uh, remind everybody who's just jumping in on the good news of Ryan Newman. Uh, still not sure the extent of his injuries, but awake and talking is definitely a positive sign. That statement issued in the last half hour, forty five minutes or so. Hey, got a big soccer game tonight, oh. man. We got soccer all over the area. Good luck uh, to your daughter, Bartram Trail. And uh, Creekside's playing. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, it's uh, look at this stage of the game, anything can happen. You're playing some it's good Oviedo, soccer. Right? Oviedo, that's right. They're yeah. coming up. Um, I believe the only common opponent we've had this year with them is Lake Mary, and we tied Lake Mary in the regular season, and then we just beat them. Um, the last last game I think we played actually nice. in the playoffs. So, uh, yeah. So it's going to be a good game, I'm sure. And then of course Creekside's playing tonight. Panavidra, I think, is hosting Stanton. Uh, so a lot of local soccer. We've got some really good girls soccer in Northeast Florida. This just yeah, in. Yeah, not only that, uh, yeah, we talked all day about it. It's one of the reasons about Creekside because there's also girls basketball here. Uh, heck, softball's getting going. they got sports going on all over the place right now. Baseball yeah. behind me, lacrosse, tennis is right there. So they've got everything going on. Uh, but all over the area it's like that, not just down St. John's County, up in Duval, uh, Clay, uh, just there's a lot of playoff action, and then there's other seasons just getting started, of course, in the spring sports. All right, John, uh, thanks for stopping by, man. I know you're busy. Appreciate it uh, hanging around. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Maybe we'll see you in the studio for a change one of these days, Brent. <laughs> uh, or maybe not. Maybe I'll just tomorrow. take over your chair, I guess. That's fine. Maybe tomorrow. <laughs> you know, it's it's a live bet. Will I be in the studio tomorrow? Ah, look at, at J- Justin is coming through with some share uh, right now, too, just for the, the record. This makes one. Austin happy. Another Some, one. Another sometimes we've got to make Austin happy. Another one. Uh, She's like the all right. DJ Khalid of... Oh, wow. <laughs> Another one. What do you want, what do you want me to say, dude? Hold my Botox. Yeah. Come out. <laughs> we got to go. Check out John, Tanika, Mike Forrish, and myself tonight on CBS 47 and Fox 30, 5 to 7 p.m. and then 10 to 11.30 later tonight. We'll be right back. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. 
I've been in the National Football League for a long time. I know when situations come up, I know the approach that they take in terms of peeling back the layers, whether it's interviews or, or research. I wasn't directly involved in it. Like I said, during the course of the season, we have to continually move on, and that's what it is that we do. We received word from those guys, and we took them at their word that a thorough investigation was done and no evidence was founded. That was Mike Tomlin talking about the Miles Garrett Mason Rudolph deal, and I was surprised that after all the stuff, reinstatement, he still came out and said there was a racial slur uh, that Mason Rudolph said. Just double down, I know. Double down on it on a time where you're trying to close the book. Listen, if there was a racial slur, it doesn't make it right. And maybe and 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 if you want justice out of that and want that noted and want that part of the story, I, that's fair. But there was no evidence of it back then. There still is no evidence of it back then. And, and it becomes he said, she said type of thing. I assume outside of all the microphones that are on a football field with NFL films and, and teammates and, and all the due diligence that was done. So I just didn't – it was odd to me that Garrett, after getting the good news of, hey, you're back, uh, would come out and, sit and double down on it at that moment. The timing just seemed off to me. And listen, we were talking about being on a football field with your teammates. Yes, it, it can be a toxic, masculine place. And if someone was to you know, call you a racial slur, let me be the first one to say that that would be handled either on the field or after the game in the locker room. There's no way that Miles Garrett's going to go to the sidelines and say, hey, you guys, what happened? Well, the guy called me a racial slur. They would have took care of it right there, like I said, after the game in the locker room. I, I promise you that, Brent. Okay? Like, you want to talk about baseball all the time, how they kind of, you know, they have their own jurisdiction? Well, the same thing can happen in the NFL, too. And, and I get it. You, you, you play for the shield and you have to, you know, protect your brand and everything. But there's some things that cross the line. And a racial slur crosses the line. So the fact that there was no outrage from his teammates, the fact that there's no altercations after the game, it tells me, man, that he's making this whole thing up. Yeah. It's, uh, and I hate to say it like that. But it sure sounds like it. And, well, I mean, and the NFL yeah. has kind of said, yeah, you are, uh, because we have no evidence of it. So, anyway, outside of that, Mike Tomlin's a cool cat, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he's a likable guy, cool cool uh, customer, doesn't get rattled, has handled a lot of different things in Pittsburgh, and has had a lot of success in Pittsburgh as well. I don't think you're supposed to say that down here in Jacksonville, like anything good about the Pittsburgh Steelers, but... It is hard not to appreciate Mike Tomlin. I think that's why guys uh, love playing for him, Austin, because he is – you know what you're going to get with him. And he's going to most likely have your back most of the time. Listen, any sign of a good coach – like, if you're winning ball games, if you have the talent on the roster, guess what? It's easy to win. But when you lose your starting quarterback, when you lose your second-string quarterback, when you're going through the Antonio Brown drama, when you're going through the – Le'Veon Bell drama from a couple years ago, there's a lot of things that are stacked against you, and Mike Tomlin has always prevailed. The fact that the Pittsburgh Steelers this year win 8-8, eight and eight, it's insane to me. If you had told me at the start of the season, Big Ben goes out, I think, week two in the NFL, their backup quarterback gets hurt as well, I would say, oh, Pittsburgh definitely dra- you know, probably picking the top five of the NFL draft. That wasn't the case, man. They're playing for a playoff spot. They went 8-8, eight and eight, way better than the Browns did at 6-10. and 10. So it's a testament to, obviously, number one, the culture that Pittsburgh has ingrained for all these years. But number two, the leadership and the captain at the helm being Mike Tomlin. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, hey, let's do some balling and falling, uh, sneak it in here before the top of the hour. Uh, I'll begin a little baseball, and I'm going to put uh, a subject that's been fallen for the last 
couple of weeks is the sign stealing of the Astros. How about balling for Nick Markakis? He becomes the latest to go after the Houston Astros players. And that's where the angst is now going. It's a little bit uh, Manfred and the commissioner and Major League Baseball for their punishment, but it is directed right at the players. Not even the Houston organization as much as the players involved. Listen to Nick Markakis earlier today. It angers you, um, especially from a guy who has played the game the right way his whole career. No shortcuts. Um, I know how hard this game is. I know how hard uh, preparing for this game is. And to uh, to see something like that, it's 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 damaging to baseball. Um, you know, it, it's anger. Uh, I feel like every single guy over there needs a beating. <laughs> wow. That was, was like so subdued. And I'm like, wait, Coos, did we get the right sound so here? So nonchalant <laughs> with the beating. Wow. Uh, yeah, it just... Again, I don't know if that will wear off. I wonder if it will wear off. But this is so unusual, Austin, because you know it. Players stick up for players. You do it all the time on this show. Mm -hmm. Uh, But but they do. And it's, it's so unusual in sports to have this much angst within players, from player to player, and that's what we've got right now in Major League Baseball. Listen, I would be absolutely irate. You know, like I, I've said before on this show, like when I played in the league, I chose not to do steroids. And I know some guys that did, and that kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit because you talk about a physical sport like football where, you know, your, your careers could be on the line after every single play. I didn't like the fact that guys were getting bigger, faster, and stronger and not doing it the right way, right? But if I would, was to find out that, like, the New England Patriots or some team knew every single play that our team was calling or they knew every single defensive call that we were doing on the field, I would be irate too, man. Because it, it, it's one thing we talk about the, the steroid area of ba- uh, baseball, you know, with it, the Mark McGuire's, the Barry Bonds's. Yeah, that's one thing, man. But to, to know what pitch is coming... It's the ultimate advantage. So I think you know players have every right to be upset. I think players, especially the pitchers, have every right to throw out the Houston Astros because you're you're essentially spitting on the on the game of baseball when you do that stuff. So, all right, what you got for balling? Regulate it. Ah, uh, so Brent, I got a little bit of a hangover from the NBA All Star Weekend. Um, oh. so guess what, man? I have some Alka Seltzer. I have some ibuprofen for you. Let's talk a little Kawhi Leonard. Obviously, the MVP of the All Star Game. Listen to some comments after the game when they talked about his nickname, or at least a nickname that he kind of found out himself, called the Cyborg. Do cyborgs have a mantle? Say that again. Yeah. I call you a cyborg. He calls you a cyborg because you're just you're unstoppable. Word, you're, you're unstoppable. Like, you're just like, like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Terminator. Yeah, he calls you, you just the Terminator. You just kill cyborg, people. Don't, like a hey, robot. And don't show no emotion whatsoever. I love it. Yeah, I just gotta try to stay locked in into the game. Um, you know, I feel like when people are the most serious, they, they play their best basketball at sometimes. Uh, nobody's smiling in the fourth quarter. You know what I mean? If you're trying to make a basket, so. Hey, was that the most cyborg answer ever? It's like, all right, must compute question, must compute question. Okay, I stay locked into the game. Like, dude, that's just, that's who Kawhi Leonard is. And you know what, man? I love it. I think he's fantastic for the game of basketball. Yes, I'm a little bitter because he took down my Milwaukee Bucks last year. But you want to talk about a guy who I think is just an underrated ambassador to the NBA. You know, you talk about these guys like LeBron James, all these star players, even like Joel Embiid, where, you know, you got all the interviews, you got all the social media stuff and then here comes an old school throwback man a guy that just goes about his business you know hits those game winning shots wins mvp awards and all-star games and doesn't really even acknowledge it and doesn't even know he's called a cyborg how can you be that unself-aware because why he's probably a robot yeah he's he's kind of boring you know he's a great player just boring. I don't but know if I can Brent, love Kawhi Leonard. He's, he's an outlier, though, man. It's his boringness yeah. that makes him appealing. But as a boring outlier, 
like fun, or is the outlier that's a little Brent, wild and crazy the guy that you or you, you, you like? Brent, in the world of the NBA where it's all cameras on me, fashion, tweets, all this stuff, Kawhi Leonard's different, man. He sets himself apart, and I think people can relate to that. The guy's sponsored by New Balance, for crying out loud. What more <laughs> do you want from him, man? Absolutely. Hey, quickly, my phone's going to be North Carolina. They're 10-16. and 16. They blew a 15-point lead last night. They're not going to make the turn nothing. I mean, they're 10-16. and 16. North Carolina, the Tar Heels. How bizarre is that? We'll get your fallen and about four football topics coming up next. Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. I have a lot of respect for Teddy. You know, it's not easy to come in and, and back up a guy like Drew, and then when a guy like Drew goes down to step in and, and fulfill that role after Drew's been doing it for so long, he's been playing at such a high level. That is not an easy thing to do, and Teddy handled it like a champ. I think he's a great leader. I think he's a great locker room guy. You know, he gets along with, with everybody in the locker room, and he's a smart player. Well, that's Taysom Hill, quarterback or Mr. Do-Everything for the New Orleans Saints. Taysom Hill all of a sudden has become like one of the stories of the offseason. Yep. <laughs> Who would have thought that? Dual I mean, threat quarterbacks, Brent. Dual threat. <laughs> that's bizarre to me. Join the man. trend. I think he is being a little overhyped, if, uh, <laughs> if you don't mind me saying yeah. uh, right now. Big news. Uh, Drew Brees is back. What does that mean for Teddy Bridgewater, who wants millions and millions and millions and millions times 30 a year. Uh, also, we've had a couple of football conversations related to the Jags. Yannick Ngakwe, more cryptic messages on social media. What does it mean? Also, Gardner Minshew and this sophomore quarterback class, meaning the 2019 draft picks that were quarterbacks, will they take a big leap? And who will be the player that will take a big leap? More on that in just a moment. But uh, I do want to update you on my own Queen Bee story. I think I've outlasted her. At least one of them. It's not, it's not a queen, but okay. I'm telling you right now, it's probably a wasp. It's not a wasp. Hey. Like, what's a bee that looks like a queen bee then? Like, is there oh. another one that... Like, you know how a big wasp? a queen bumblebee? bee is, right? oh, no. oh, A hornet? No, a wasp and a hornet look a lot alike. Mm, okay, I mean, can you take a picture, dude? Well, I, she's gone. I outlasted her. <laughs> she's gone. <laughs> so, uh, so you, you, my you queen didn't get stung. gone. Is that a song? Like, My Queen Bee is Gone? My Queen Bee is Gone? I mean, if you sing about Beyonce, it could be. Uh, dude, it's a fat bee. Isn't that like a queen bee? Yeah, I think I just, it's it's rare for a queen bee not to be by the hive, bro. That's all I'm saying. Well, maybe there's a hive. Like, you didn't ask me if there was a hive. There might be a hive. Well, I hey, Brent, are, are you doing the show from a beehive right now? Is that what we're doing? <laughs> is that where we're at? Possibly. Sorry. I, I assume that you weren't doing that. All right. Uh, my knowledge of bees is fallen. Well, I'll uh, tell what you else what? has fallen for you? Here's what we need to do real quick, though. When we go to Green Bay for the hopefully the Jaguars, the Packers game, I'm going to take you to my grandpa's bee farm, and we're going to drop a crash course on, on, on bee knowledge to you. There's going to be about right. 100,000 bees swarming around. Don't worry about it. We'll make sure you have the proper gear. But, uh, yeah, man, let's give you a crash course. I would like that. Is yeah. that in Iola? Um, so it's in Northland, which is about like eight miles away from Iola. It's, it's right okay. next door. Yeah. All right. So put it on the list. Put it on the list. And, and you're going to notice, too, like my grandpa doesn't wear any of the beekeeper's outfit. He just wears his, his like bibs or whatever. So That's it. He's kind of he's kind of uh, old school. Yeah. So, so hey, uh, why? what about, like, say they play that game in, like, November. 
Okay. What these do in November so, in Wisconsin? Yeah, so obviously it gets cold there um, in the wintertime. So what the bees do in the boxes is they actually like kind of swarm together, and they don't come out. You know, they, they stay in the boxes, and they, they try to keep warm to beat out the winter. But the cool thing that my grandpa does, actually, he, he designs bee boxes. So he sells them all around, like, Wisconsin, and he, he has some buyers in Chicago as well, where he actually figured out a way to insulate the bee boxes so that way when it gets, like, you know, below zero, they can still survive. I'm going to buy a bee box for the next time I come to Creekside High School and do a show. Now we're, t- <laughs> now we're talking, man. I like your style. I By like the way, it. you know, we get a lot of you shoulds on this show. Sure. Right? Like on social media, you should talk about this. You should talk about that. And I yeah. like that. I like the discussion because yeah. I'm always thinking about what we should talk about and mm-hmm. or could talk about. I don't. Now I know why people are saying you should. Lately, yesterday it was ten minutes on on uh, elephant dung, yep. And today it's been probably an inordinate amount of time on queen bees and share. So and share and share. Yeah. <laughs> All uh, right, so man. I get it. What's fallen other than us? Fallen. Well, um, <laughs> if you recall on Friday, uh, you know, I talked about the UFC fights a little bit, and I said keep an eye on the Diego Sanchez Michael Piera fight. Michael Piera is the guy that does backflips and everything, does the break dancing in the cage, even when the fight's actually going on. And Diego Sanchez is an old G. He's been doing it for a while. I think he's like 38 years old. And to be fair, he's kind of a nut a little bit. He's kind of a lunatic. So. I figured it'd be a great fight. Well, it didn't disappoint, but it dis- I mean, it did disappoint kind of for all the wrong reasons, though, as well. Where Diego Sanchez was losing two rounds by a landslide. He was getting picked apart um, by Piera. All of a sudden, Piera accidentally knees him in the head when he's on the ground, and then they actually call that an illegal blow because you can't knee somebody when they're on all fours. So Piera knees Diego Sanchez on the ground. Diego Sanchez stands up. The ref, you know, says, hey, you okay? And then he kind of waves off the fight a little bit. Diego Sanchez then proceeds to go to the ref and says, if I was to quit right now and say I'm hurt, do I win the fight? And the ref goes, yeah. And keep in mind, the, the, the mics are on right now. And the ref goes, yeah, you'd win by DQ. So Diego Sanchez opted out of the fight, said he was hurt, and Michael Pierre, who was winning for two and a half rounds, ended up losing the fight because Diego Sanchez essentially quit. Now, it's hard to say was he really hurt or not? I think the the general public, including myself, would say he was fine. Obviously, he was kind of doing a veteran move a little bit where he said, you know what, I'm hurt. I can't continue because let's be honest, man, if you lose a UFC fight, you only get half your purse. Yeah. So in doing that, Diego Sanchez actually got his entire purse. But it, also in doing that, he, he got the scrutiny now of MMA fans. Yeah, and not only that, and you got to wonder how much money there might be to be made down the road. Correct. Although, more scrutiny, more polarizing, yeah. more popular. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> and maybe that's not a bad play from sure. a branding and marketing standpoint on his part. Uh, by the way, Austin's got a fight coming up March 6th in Dallas. That's been announced. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about it as uh, the days and weeks go along. We get closer, but it's not that far away. And uh, we're planning to have a watch party. More information on that, but circle March 6th on your calendar. You know what? I did want to ask you, man, what time will your fight start, do you think? Do you have any idea, like a window? Yeah, um, I think the main card would start 8, so that would be central time, if I'm not mistaken. So oh, wow. okay. I predict that I would probably go on around 9.30, 10 around here. Yeah, so I'd buffer in about a half hour even on top of that, just because you never know, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Sometime maybe between 9.30 and 10.30? Maybe, yeah. Don't quote me on that quite yet. Uh, I can kind of, you know, ask around a little more and see if you have any information. But, yeah, I'd probably plan on that. 
Okay, good yep. deal. Well, yep. uh, we'll give you more information on that, uh, but we'd like you to come out. Uh, we'll have a little watch party, have some food and fun, and uh, and I'll, I'll watch uh, Austin's fight because we think we can do that. So yeah. maybe have more information on that uh, in the next couple of days. All right, let's talk some more football, man. Uh, here in the 5 o'clock hour on a Tuesday, I'm live at uh, Creekside High School where there's a bit of everything going on uh, in terms of uh, playoff soccer, playoff basketball. We've got a little baseball behind us, softball team as a game. I'm watching lacrosse practice. I'm watching tennis play, and I'm watching <laughs> track and field run. There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on, man. And I've got a bird's eye view to it all. I, I lied. Before we get to football, I think Submarine Mike's called in a couple times on NASCAR. So uh, we kind of left that conversation. I will update you on this. Uh, the latest news on Ryan Newman is he is awake and speaking to family and doctors. Really positive news that came down during our show about an hour ago. So uh, that is super news. Uh, that, is, that news following the news last night that he had non-life-threatening injuries, but he was in serious condition. We don't know a status update on his condition. We don't know the extent of his injuries. But... There continues to be some positive reports around Ryan Newman, the latest being about an hour ago, that he is awake and alert and talking to doctors and family. Let's bring Submarine Mike in on the NASCAR front uh, real quick. What's up, man? What do you want to uh, talk about on this uh, last uh, night? Well, two things. One on Daytona, just real quick. We don't watch for the wrecks. We watch for them to it, it's them find death and trying to control the uncontrollable. That's why we watch. The wrecks are the defying the death part. We don't watch for the wrecks, but it, but you want to see them beat that. that it's, a, it's, it's a nuanced thing there, Austin, but it, it's not the same thing as what you're saying. Okay. Yeah, well, so, uh, a summary, Mike, real quick, though. Uh, you're right, but you love NASCAR. You skipped yeah. out on the Iceman, in fact, to go to the Daytona 500 over the weekend. So you are a yeah. NASCAR diehard. Mm-hmm. NASCAR's got yeah. you. When NASCAR wants to get the casual observer when nash when nascar wants more people involved this style of racing while they don't want wrecks necessarily the wrecks definitely help bring attention to the sport the the excitement the fireworks the the like you said the defying of death so um i do think casual fans around this race around talladega they might not i don't know if that's a good way to put it in terms of watch for the wrecks, but if they watch the race and they don't see any, I guarantee you they're highly disappointed. Yeah, maybe, and I mean, but there's nothing you can do about that. People are people, and they're going to do what they do, you know? Yeah. What's um, the second part for you? Miles Garrett, if I'm Mason Rudolph, I get the best lawyer I can get, and I'll do the living crap for him. My suit is either where I gas for enough money where he's working for me for the rest of his life, or if he wants to settle and not pay any money, I make him contractually agree to never play football again. He retires immediately from the NFL. He doesn't get to coach anywhere. He can't go on any network and talk about football. He can't go on any network to talk about football, period, and do something else. He can't even coach peewee football because here's the problem. In today's world, and ESPN is already doing this, ESPN is acting like Mason Rudolph said that over and over again. In today's world, Mason Rudolph is not the guy that said the N-word, no matter what happens. Um, all right, Brett. Well, do, uh, you go ahead and take that. Cause, well, you take it because uh, he cut out at the last second yeah. for me. So. so, listen, I mean, I don't watch a lot of ESPN during the day, so I, I don't really know what they're thinking about it. 
Um, I think the world right now isn't treating Mason Rudolph like he's the guy that's guilty that said the N word. I would actually yeah, I don't be- feel that. I-, I would actually beg to differ. You know, and I'm I'm very adamant where I don't think he said it because the reaction that happened after it there was wasn't really any reaction. There wasn't any fights or anything like that. So I think Mason Rudolph isn't really being outcast per se, you know, at least not from my circles. Now, maybe I'm misspeaking in the NFL, but I think overall people are actually on Mason Rudolph's side. And to, you know, to say, we well, should sue him. Um, you should go take the court, take this to court. Yeah, I, I can get that because to be fair, I think Miles Garrett did slander his name a little bit. That could hurt him with endorsements in the future and all that. But let's be honest, man. I think if I'm Mason Rudolph right now, I just want this to go away, man. I just yeah, want I, I I just want Miles Garrett to keep my name out of his mouth, right? So the last thing I would want to do about Mason is to go to the lawyers, go to the courts, and try to drag this thing out and make it a big spectacle, man. I just want to I just want it to go away. Tell you the truth. Yeah, I, I think he's probably in there too. Now we're not in Pittsburgh. We don't know the temperature of all this and how he is being perceived. But I tell you, from a distance, I agree. I feel like Miles Garrett is being perceived as the bad guy in this. Yeah. I don't think it's really hurting the stock necessarily of Mason Rudolph. But that's totally up to Rudolph how he feels about that. But I agree with you. I feel like he probably wants this to be done. Well, and let's be honest. Uh, and get away from it. Exactly. Yeah. And and I think Mike Tomlin even helped Mason Rudolph's case a little bit. You know, obviously Mike Tomlin, being a black coach, went on ESPN, went on all the channels, and had his quarterbacks back and said, I don't think he said that. You know, so I think Mike Tomlin's helping kind of set the narrative of where Mason's not necessarily a bad guy because he didn't say any kind of racial slurs. So I don't think, like, the outside world, you know, is really against Mason here, to tell you the truth. But, uh, I tend to agree with you. Yeah. All right. Uh, hey, let's get some other football things. A lot of them I want to get to. Uh, Drew Brees, surprise he's coming back? No, no, no. Not at all. You know, I mean, yeah, I get it. You had the injury last year. Um the, the the playoff game against the Vikings obviously wasn't his best showing at all, but when you got Alvin Kamara coming back, when you got Michael Thomas, you have all those weapons. You have a pretty solid offensive line. I think Drew Brees, the way he feels right now is he has some unfinished business to do, so I'm not surprised whatsoever. Yeah, I'm not really surprised either. I, I feel a little bit for Drew Brees because I kind of sense, although I think he loves playing the game and he still plays at a high level and they've still got a good football team. I I think, again, this is totally from the outside, just kind of guessing, that he feels a sense of responsibility to finish this, right? Mm. To get a Super Bowl. They've been so close. They've had so many good teams. And he does, th- these last three heartbreakers in the last three years in the playoffs have just left such a bad taste. And they have been good enough to win probably each year. Yeah. And so I almost feel like I sense he's coming back for that reason than more so than he is for the love of the game and I want to play another year. Now, you still have to love the game, have a passion of the game, all that stuff. But I feel like there's almost a responsibility tied to him and Peyton and this team and this era of Saints football that they want to close it off uh, with a win. Everybody wants to close it off, but they don't want to close it off with what happened the last three years and just a major disappointment in New Orleans, sometimes their own fault and sometimes, well, well, the rest fault. Exactly. And you talk about Drew Brees right now, man. You talk about 32 teams in National Football League. Am I in the wrong right now, Brent? Am I crazy to think that Drew Brees is still a top-five quarterback in the National Football League? Uh, no, you're not. Yeah. He's definitely. Yeah, exactly. uh, with that, by the way, well, because all the people we talk about with Tom Brady, uh, you know, even Aaron Rodgers, right, that mm-hmm. we know is so gifted, maybe a Ben Roethlisberger, maybe even a Phillip Rivers. The one thing about Brees 
is he has everything around him. Like we say with Brady, hey, he's got to have stuff around him, right? It looks like he's losing the stuff around him. Mm. Well, Breeze has had fantastic stuff around him. Now, sure. you can argue he needs another ti- another wide receiving target, but he's got the best receiver in the game, arguably, yep. the last couple of years. He's got Kamara. He's got Sean Payton calling plays. Jared Cook he's got at a tight end. good offensive line. He's got Cook now. Former Pro Bowl Bowl tight end. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's, uh, what's his name? The, the uh, Murray, right? Uh, Latavius yep, Murray. Latavius Murray. Um, I mean, that's a good team. Sure. And, and by the way, they've had the Taysom Hill element, which nobody else even has in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So he has had a really good setup. And my guess is he said, hey, I think we can keep most of this setup for another year. So let's give it one more ride. Now, what does it do for Teddy Bridgewater? Am I out of my mind? I like Teddy Bridgewater. He's a cool dude. I love mm-hmm. the story. He played fantastic. But $30 million? Is that real? <sighs> Yeah, um, to me, and listen, I'm I'm in your boat too, Brent, right? Like what Teddy Bridgewater was able to do when Drew Brees went down and literally, I think he went 5-0, and correct? I think he did. Yeah. Including the win over the Jags. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so so you go 5-0 and with the absence of Drew Brees, man. I mean, yeah, that, that, that says something, you know? And I think, like, he was celebrated like a folk hero when Drew Brees even came back. You know, everyone was chanting Teddy and everything like that. So I think he's a great quarterback, sure. But $30 million, man. Um to be fair, on a sample size, which, you know, it's it's not really there. I just, I cannot get behind that. And, and the same thing with Taysom Hill as well. I mean, we can talk about both quarterbacks, but with Teddy, man, I just, uh, I just can't see it happening, unfortunately. Garoppolo, by the way, is a similar story. But because of the lack of injuries, because of also the fact I think he was groomed with Brady and sure. the Patriots, don't you get the sense that that was a an easier flyer to take than than Bridgewater. Bridgewater seems to come with a lot more risk than Garoppolo, even though none of them had, uh, oh, neither of them had done a whole heck of a lot to warrant maybe the resume of a thirty million dollar quarterback. Brent, I want to do something real quick. So obviously, Bree's off the table now for the free agent quarterbacks. We'll see what happens with Tom Brady. But to you, where does Teddy Bridgewater really fit in the, in the 2020 free agent class of quarterbacks? So you got Teddy Bridgewater, you got Philip Rivers, you got Jameis Winston, and let's just say Ryan Tannehill. Which guy out of that group right there are you taking? <laughs> Read me the list again. Yep, Philip Rivers. No problem. Uh, Tannehill, Jameis. Jameis Winston, Teddy Bridgewater. Oof. Right? Well, that's a good question. Yeah. I would probably take him. Yeah. You know, I Believe mean, it or not, you know, I'm not a big Philip Rivers guy right now. Unless you've got everything around him, I think Philip is a statue back there. I think it's going to be really hard for him to be successful unless he's set up just super. Uh, I don't. I think the Tannehill thing was was Bortles esque. Mm. You know, now that we saw that in Jacksonville, I, yep. I don't know if that's really who Tannehill is. Jameis is a turnover machine, even though he's fun and I think he's got talent. And you don't usually wash that away. We saw that here in Jacksonville too. Uh, so. I would say I would probably – they're all gambles. Of course. And I think I would gamble on Bridgewater because I think he's got a lot more upside if you give me those four quarterbacks. Yeah, and and I think I'm kind of in the same area as well where obviously you're bringing a quarterback in to win right now but also plan for the future. And I think Teddy Bridgewater, no pun intended, is the bridge. You know, I mean, I think he's the guy that can do that. He could be. All right, uh, I want to hit a couple more topics. Jalen Ramsey might be up for a big deal. You think the Rams get the deal done? There's about a month away from free agency now, and they obviously, man, mortgaged a bunch with the two first-round picks and a fourth. Don't they have to get something oh, done with, with Jalen? I mean, you think, doubt. you think Yannick Ngakwe has leverage in a deal that, that will get him paid, whether it's here or somewhere else. 
I got to believe in L.A., Jalen Ramsey has all the leverage in the world to get almost whatever he wants. So here's the thing. L.A. goes after Jalen Ramsey because they need some, you know, better defensive players. They want to build that identity on defense. So, you know, they sell two first-round draft picks to get Jalen Ramsey. I think the thought is he comes in, brings a new swag, brings a new attitude, kind of pushes the Rams over the hump. They make the playoffs, and then who knows what happens from there, okay? They don't do that, though, okay? The Rams don't go to the playoffs. Um, It was a disappointing season, to say the least, for Rams fans. Now, if you're a Rams fan or if you're a player in that locker room, you've essentially given away two first-round draft picks. You didn't go to the playoffs, and what do you have to show for it? Really nothing unless you pay Jalen Ramsey what he wants. And I think that's what you have to do if you're Los Angeles Rams. Because if you do lose Jalen Ramsey and if you don't sign him, then those two first-round picks and everything else, it was all for nothing. So you absolutely have have to pay him. And guess what? Like you said, Brent, if you're Jalen Ramsey right now, you're sitting in the pole position because you're essentially, um, you know, you, you can call the shots, basically. Jalen uh, was a messy situation here in Jacksonville for a few weeks. Yannick Ngakwe is starting to become a messy situation here in Jacksonville. doesn't seem like anything can be a clean situation or a good one right now in Jacksonville, just anything. But uh, why is the bad guy in Brent rooting for this to be as messy of a situation possible for the L.A. Rams? Like, I want to see all the drama unfold. I want to see Ramsey start uh, cryptic tweets at the Rams. (laughs) I want to see him go back and forth with everybody. Uh, it, it would just be fun to watch play out in someone else's yard sure. for a couple of uh, days, weeks, months, if it takes that long. Well, listen, I mean, I absolutely agree with you, man, right? Like, you, you, you kind of want that chaos a little bit. But at the same time, and to be fair, I think the Rams, the the, the past couple of years, you know, they've been a respectful organization, right? Like, the, you go through the thing with Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald wanted that new deal. Well, they got it done, right? So it seems... It was a little messy, though. It was a little messy, but man, for as much as he commanded, the, they gave it to him, Brent. Yeah. Okay? Like, I mean, it, listen, anytime you pay that much to a three technique, and I don't know how, I don't care how good you are, it's always kind of a kind of a weird ordeal, but they did it. Um, You know, the, they backed up their guy. So, yes, obviously, I'm in interested to see some chaos but also i'm just kind of curious to see how they handle it right because we're so accustomed to the jacksonville jaguars handling things a certain way right where they lose jalen ramsey he doesn't want to be here anymore odds are showing that yannick Ngakwe doesn't want to be here anymore i want to see what the rams do i want to see how they run things i want to see how they handle this circus that's about to come to their town and i think it's going to be very telling whether they have you know a legit franchise or not yeah, and I just don't think you could trade as much as they traded away with not the idea of, hey, this guy's going to cost us this. Yeah. I know you, they are very short-sighted. They've gotten a lot of uh, draft picks. They've gotten rid of them. They wanted to win. They thought the window was now. They made a run at it. But still, you can't be that short-sighted. You can't give up that kind of draft capital without the idea that you know what this guy's going to cost in the long term. And uh, my guess is those conversations took place a while ago. But, again, in the world of leverage, Ramsey certainly has a lot of it uh, right now with the L.A. Rams. Hey, let's take a time out. When we come back, let's uh, talk a little bit more about uh, the Jag side of things on the football front. We brought up Jan and we brought up Mitchu in relation to second-year quarterbacks with Jason Fisk, but we didn't really give our side of the story when sure. it comes to that. How will Minshew do? How will this class that now becomes sophomores in the NFL, essentially, how will they do? Will anybody emerge? Or, like Fitz said, is it just a bad class overall of quarterbacks? Live at Creekside High School, we got sports all over the place. 
here in St. Johns County and up in Duval. We'll be all over it on the TV side, CBS 47 and Fox 30. We'll be back on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. The fact that Tua has the medical, if it wasn't for that greenie, there would be a discussion at number one. Herbert, if he would have had that wow moment or two overall from quarter one to quarter four, both passing and running, then he would have been locked in. Some people think he should still be the first quarterback off the board. So there's a lot of debate there, Greeny, but I think Burrow is solidly the consensus number one guy. The caricature of Mel Kuyper is awesome. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's become such a thing like it doesn't feel like the real thing. Yeah. You know, like you've seen so many people... I think Frank Caliendo has changed my, like, real-world versus warped-world <laughs> mind when it comes to people like Mel Kuyper or John Madden, you sure, know? Yep. He does it so well. Or Gruden. I'm like, is that really Gruden or is that not Gruden? <laughs> <laughs> but it's so funny. He's one of those guys, you know? Yeah. Uh, not Caliendo, but Mel Kuyper. I forgot, actually, Mel Kuyper came out with the draft. And, you know, I said this uh, yesterday, I think it was. I'm not... I don't like going through every mock draft. There's a ton of mock drafts, yep. and we'll talk plenty about draft the next two months. And and I, they're on, they're fun to reference, but I mean, it's just such a guessing game. Mel Kuyper is well respected, and though I would be interested, I'm interested to look at him right and yeah. see. Okay, I wonder who they have because I'm interested to see is everybody aligning or does somebody go outside the box in a box that makes sense? And we had the discussion yesterday. And uh, part of that discussion was, listen, I don't feel like they're going corner at 20. Yet a lot of people do because they've got to replace Jalen Ramsey and potentially replace A.J. Boye. So I understand the logic, but I just don't know if they're going that way. So that's why I kind of like looking at the mock draft. So maybe in our last segment we'll take a look at Mel Kuyper. I think he did a new one today. Um, but honestly, I haven't even looked it up yet, uh, uh, what Mel Kuyper had to offer on the mock draft. Do you like him? I mean, do you think – is there credence to him? or? <sighs> You look at him as just like people throwing darts. Yeah, I mean, listen, I understand Mel Kuyper, I'm sure, does his due diligence. Um, I feel like you have to if you're at, at that type of position. Absolutely, um, that's what he's paid to do. Yeah, that's what you're paid to do and everything. But, I, I mean, I don't know. Well, as far as the mock drafts are concerned, like, yeah, I'm sure he's got the sources, Brent. He talks to some of the scouts. Maybe he talks to GM. So, like, if I was to look at a mock draft... It would probably be like a Mel Kuyper or Todd McShay, you know, like one of those big names. But at the same time, man, like th- th- this whole mock draft season, it's just it- – it's so crazy to me. And, like, you know, I'm not making fun of anybody because I know, like, a lot of fans, you know, they make their own mock drafts. And that- that's cool. If you got time in your hands, more power to you, man. But, like, how, how many mock drafts have actually come back to be 100% true? You know, like well, it just – never it doesn't, be 100 Never because there, there's – I guess there's no science to it, you know. It's it's kind of the art of guessing a little bit because you don't know what teams are going to do. And let's be honest, even if you do have sources, well, nine times out of ten, those sources are probably going to keep it close to the chest because maybe they're probably planning to make some moves as well. So it's just it's hard to gauge. I appreciate it because obviously it gets the conversation going a little bit. And you know, with Mel Kiper, who's kind of like the you know, I mean, let's be honest, he's he's like the godfather right now of draft talk. You know, and whether it's the it's more to do with his hair or his look than actually his knowledge. I mean, he is that guy right now. So I embrace it. I love talking about the draft. But as far as mock drafts are concerned. Concern. I always kind of pump the brakes a little bit, especially when you get out of, get out of like you know like the the top ten picks. I think it's actually tough being front office people this day and age, and not at least hearing some of the stuff. They don't look at them. I don't believe. I, actually, you know what? I think I've talked to people. They do look at them just kind of for the fun of it, but they. 
I, I think when um, when there is a consensus amongst like the population, the fans, we get talked into it, or we maybe talk people into it because mock draft says this, mock draft says that, you know, uh, all these different things, and then so you go outside the box and it almost sets a different narrative, right? Like the Oakland Raiders not picking Josh Allen. Well, that set them up for a, a narrative this year. Now it looks like it's okay right now. They they had some good things happen on the defensive side, and but it could shape the narrative for the next few years. Like, how did you not pass on that? We told you uh, Josh Allen was going to be good, and when the fans like are right or the mock drafters are right, it almost puts like the front office in a unique and strange Whoa. spot. And that's kind of what it's more narrative based. It's not reality for them. I get it, but that's kind of the world we live in. Like when we do the draft luncheon with the Jags, we'll be like, hey, a lot of mock drafts have this guy here. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like and they must be thinking like who cares yeah <laughs> you know? well, so it's interesting but and it's crazy just how people you know they really embrace the draft now like even like the, the social media department for the jaguars now i get it you know dave cobble is not running the jaguars social media on twitter and, and neither is doug marone but you know like every once in a while like, you, you'll see an article from you know like the official twitter of the jacksonville jaguars mock draft tracker defensive tackle offensive tackle defensive line is a popular pick at number nine and that's like the title that the Jacksonville Jaguars are putting out on Twitter. And they're not the only ones. I'm not trying to make fun of everybody. I mean, I feel like every team right now in the NFL, like on their Twitter accounts, they do that. You know, like, oh, wide receivers are big need. It's just, it's crazy how something's supposed to be so secret, you know, and, and you don't want to show your chips at all. But there's so much speculation even coming from your own social media department. <laughs> Sometimes you're right. Yeah. Everybody's taking a little bit of a guess, and it is fun. Listen, it's yeah. fun for everybody. Fun. It involves the fans, which the NFL has done such a great job of doing. Whether it's mock drafts or fantasy football, we all think we're GMs and we're smart enough and smarter <laughs> than the yeah. other people doing the job. For sure. Um, and by the way, in Jacksonville, we've been proven at times, <laughs> even in our own minds. Uh, okay, couple football top. That being said, Joe Burrow, right? Slam dunk number one pick. Correct. But yeah. there seems to be more and more talk, speaking of narratives, that does he really want to go to Cincinnati? Mm-hmm. Not going to be long here, because we talked about this before, in relation to Eli Manning and Phillip Rivers, and, and would he play that card? Why wouldn't he want to go back to Ohio? Seriously thinking, would you, if you're Joe Burrow, have doubts about being the first overall pick and going to Cincinnati? I so yeah, I, honestly I would because if you're the quarterback, if you're the general of the team, who wants to go to a place that you know they don't have the pieces to win right away, you know, and especially if you're Joe Burrow and you're accustomed to winning. And I understand, like, see, like, I guess it's fifty-fifty, Brent, because a part of me, as a former player and as a competitor, wants to say, well, you're the number one pick, so go, go there, it. go change it. That's your job. That's why you're getting paid like the number one pick. But at the same time. You know, like, if you have the option, it, you know, if if you played so well that you're the bona fide number one pick no matter what, well, then one can argue, well, have you earned the right to be like, no, I, I, I don't want to go there. I'm that good where I can say I don't want to go someplace, and guess what? It'll probably work out. So I hate, you know, like I don't like being on the fence here, but I can see both sides of it. So I, I guess I really don't know where I stand, Brent, to tell you the truth. Yeah, uh, it sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah, I know. Um, but, no, it's, it's a tough question because, well, first of all, we don't know the inner workings of Cincinnati. Is it poorly run? Well, they haven't won a playoff game since 1991. Mm-hmm. So uh, that speaks to a yes. Uh, 
you know, I think the tough thing for a QB, they can't control much. So Joe Burrow comes in, he controls how he plays, he controls how good he is, he controls that offense, maybe scores some points. But he can't control who the head coach is, can't control who the offensive coordinator is, the QB coach, the wide receiver coach, who they end up drafting, who they pick up in free agency, how much money they spend, all those things. And he can't control the defensive side of the ball. So there's a lot of not being able to control. Ah, that's sports. That's football. Mm-hmm. But... So I understand for a team that has not won a playoff game since 1991, which is now going on a very long time, almost 30 years, then I understand why you might say, am I going to be put in a situation where I can be successful? And we talk about it all the time. It's situational. You know, Allen Robinson, when we've talked to him at Super Bowls, even Blake Bortles, and this is not a defense of Bortles, and like, uh, I won't go back to that hill. But I, <laughs> because, I will, because Brent's died on it already. I, I will say this about Allen Robinson, though. It stuck with me, not this last Super Bowl, but two years ago in Atlanta, when he said, listen, it's not that I want to get out of Jacksonville. It's that I was tired of all the change in Jacksonville. It's, I was tired of new coach after new coach after new system after new this after new that. Mm-hmm. It's like there was no consistency. It's hard to blossom. It's hard to grow. It's hard to succeed when you have that. Well, what's... To say that Cincinnati hasn't done that, won't do that, all those things. Now, you're going to say, well, Marvin Lewis stayed for like 17 years. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> but they've got a 31-year-old coach, and they went 1-15. and They've been a very unstable organization in terms of wins and success. So I get the angst a little bit. You know, I, I mean, I do, but I also feel like I, – I just don't feel like Joe Burrow's that guy to do it. Burrow, a year ago, not even, would have been lucky to be a first-round pick. <laughs> yeah. Now he's played himself into the top pick in the draft. And so in, I guess from the outside of looking in, I don't know if he's – I feel like, dude, just celebrate being the top pick. Go there, be good, change it, do whatever you got to do, and, and, and be a great player. Well, but yeah. I don't know if I need you to be a system changer in terms of saying, oh, nope, I want to go to my own team. I want this to become free agency, not a draft, you know? Listen, and, and there's – I mean, it's still kind of a long time now, but for a long time the Cleveland Browns were the uncool team. Okay, back in 2010, when I was getting drafted, every time the Browns showed up on the clock, I held my breath, Brent. Didn't want to go there. And I, and I think a lot of players in my draft class shared those sentiments because we knew it was an absolute just dumpster fire in Cleveland. Well, then enter Baker Mayfield. And, and I get it right now. Baker Mayfield, I'm also looking in. You know, he's got a lot of work to do, right? But I think when Baker Mayfield came into Cleveland, you know, when they kind of took a gamble on him, I think the fans responded well to that you know and and i think like the dog days of cleveland were over and baker mayfield was going to be the savior and, and, and he, he kind of you know the, the city embraced baker mayfield all that stuff now time will tell if he was the right pick or not i think there's still a lot of sample size left to see but it's kind of the same thing with joe burrow i feel like especially in a, in a you know close to a place that you grew up by man where you can come in and you can turn it all around you can make the Bengals cool. You know, you can make them a new thing, just like Jackson did in Baltimore. You know, there was a while where with Joe Flacco was kind of like, yeah, yeah, Baltimore, you know, they're that hard-nosed kind of team. I mean, they're always respectable. They're well coached. But, you know, I mean, I don't think anybody's going out of the way to watch Baltimore Ravens games. Well, then here comes the MVP of the league to take over, and now they're must-see TV. So if you're Joe Burrow, why not think like that, man? Why not think that I can come in, turn this whole thing around, and have all eyes on me? Because I feel like if you're the number one pick of the draft, you should embrace those type of moments. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I agree with you, and maybe that's just kind of a little bit of get off my lawn and saying, hey, come on now, go fix it. Go be a competitor. Go try to do it. But I would say they have valid points. 
They've been 30 years without a playoff win. <laughs> They've done a lot of things wrong in yeah. Cincinnati. And the organizations that now have been mired in disaster for a decade or two, well, it's fair to say I don't know if I want to go there. They have not proven that they can flip it, uh, you know, and they're not at a good starting point. So whether that's the Jags, whether that's been the Bills, although they're in a better spot right now, uh, whether that's maybe even been the Jets or the Browns or uh, Cincinnati. So um, it, it's it, it's an interesting debate. And at first sight, it's one of those things at first sight, I'm like, come on, dude, just go be the number one pick and play where they pick you. But there is some validity to questioning whether that's going to be a good spot for me because now I get into this league, I want to be successful. You know, yeah. uh, it'd be great to be offered a job somewhere or Austin be offered a fight, but you want to be set up for success too. Hey, that's very cool. You know, yeah. hey, you want me, to, you want to pay me to come fight? You want me to go to Dallas or you want me to go to California and fight this one? But am I putting myself in the best position to be successful in that fight? Can I and fight? That's a fair thing from Brent Martino. Point of view. Oh, no, without a doubt. And, and listen, I think another question, too, we need to ask, maybe we can answer this after the break here, is if you're the Bengals right now, and obviously Joe Burrow, he's got all the hype, Heisman Trophy, you know, winner, number one pick, but how confident are you of Joe Burrow to, you know, to have him lead your franchise for the next, you know, 10 to 12 years? Pretty confident. <laughs> but, I'll but, take it. Okay, but, here, but my only argument here, Brent, is like, it's not like Andrew Luck, all right? It's not like a guy that was groomed since day one to be the starting quarterback of the NFL. Joe Burrow came out of nowhere. Nobody was talking yeah. about Joe Burrow when the start of the college football season. And one could argue that the system that Joe Burrow played in, it was obviously very college football friendly, right? Like the coordinator left, the quarterback's coach was someplace else. Like they, they basically gutted that entire offensive coaching staff because they were that good. I guess my question is, is Joe Burrow going to be the real deal, or was his the place that he was surrounded by, all the great talent on the field and also the coaches that coached him, are they a lot of uh, have to do with his success as well, I guess I would yeah, say. Yeah, they probably are, but I'll take the risk, and it's worth the risk, in my opinion, with Joe Burrow, because you got to do it. you got to shuffle the deck. you right. got to take that chance, uh, especially if you have the top pick. If you're Cincinnati, I would roll with uh, Joe Burrow. Hey, when we come back, Yannick Ngakwe, Gardner Minshew, conversation to wrap up a Tuesday on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 6 night. I think that the back and forth that's gone on um, is not healthy. I met with um, half the managers, the Florida contingent, before I came out here to speak to you guys. I'll meet with the other half in Arizona. I hope that I made it extremely clear to them that retaliation in-game by throwing at a batter intentionally will not be tolerated, whether it's Houston or anybody else. It's dangerous, and it is not helpful to the current situation. <laughs> what is Rob Substitute teacher man done? Yeah, that is helpful to the situation. Yeah, maybe they should just put him up to bat. Substitute teacher Manfred trying to get his two cents in. Will Will his class listen? Time will tell. Yeah, I highly doubt it. Brent Morton yeah. here at Creekside High School. A ton of events going on. It's pretty cool. It's a beautiful night, gorgeous night uh, here in St. John's County and really, really all over Northeast Florida, I think. Uh, maybe some raindrops up uh, in Duval. I'm not sure. But uh, they've got everything going on. Softball games in the third inning. Got a baseball game going on behind us in just a little bit. It's a JV game uh, coming up uh, between Creekside and Providence. Lacrosse uh, practice tennis uh, is in the middle of a match. I don't know who they're playing. Girls soccer takes the field in just a little 
little bit for a playoff game. Girls hoops inside and in a playoff game, and uh, that's just here at Creekside. Can, can we just pick a sport just for the day? I know, man. And I saw track and field practice earlier, so unreal. Uh, it's a great spot. I mean, they got everything kind of connected, and uh, home game for me. Yeah. Here in uh, St. John's County, here for Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. All right, uh, before we get going, I I want to touch on two things that we already touched on, but that didn't really elaborate much. Uh, Yannick Ngakwe, you shared the cryptic tweet or uh, Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was next chapter and an airplane emoji, right? Correct. Or is that an emoji? Is that an emoji? Is that technically called an emoji? Uh, I think so. I mean, I see how you're asking yes. the, the cool yeah. person here, I guess. So, okay. yeah, I think it's an yeah. emoji. Let's go with that. I didn't know if the emoji was just for, like, uh, uh, no, I knew that was an emoji. Like, I think thumbs up, and I think the, the crying, and I think the smiley faces, you know. Wink, yeah, but I, I got you. the airplane, you know. Yeah, but, I got you. Uh, I've learned a lot, you know, from uh, bees <laughs> and queen bees to to emojis. Uh, I'm, I'm really taking it all in here today. But, uh Anyway, another cryptic message. Yeah. The, the point being here, we'll talk a little bit more about free agency tomorrow in the league year. That's a few weeks away. Uh, I think the franchise decision comes up uh, around March 10th, if I'm not mistaken. Don't have that in front of me. But Jan has no power right now. And it's okay that he doesn't want to be here and he thinks that he's going elsewhere. And maybe, though, there is this part. Do you think that he has been told? Hey, we ain't franchising you either. I mean, is that possible? No. No, I mean, honestly, I don't think so, because if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars, what would you be doing? You know, I mean, listen, I've been very adamant about this in Yannick Ngakwe. I don't think he wants to be in Jacksonville. I think whatever happened last year left a bad taste in his mouth. I think his pride is hurt. I think there is no loyalty right now. And, yeah, I, I get it. You can offer him a new contract all you want, but there's some things that don't, you know, match up to pride and loyalty. And, yeah, sure, money sounds great on paper and everything, but if you don't want to play for a team because you don't trust them, then you're not going to play for that team. So from that perspective, yeah, I don't think Yannick Ngakwe wants to be in Jacksonville. At the same time, though, if you are the Jacksonville Jaguars, you have to put him all in because at the end of the day, though the whole goal of owning an organization, of being a GM or being an owner, is to win ball games. So if you're Dave Caldwell, you have to franchise tag him because keeping him gives you a lot better chance of winning than losing him. So if if, if you can find a loophole and say, you know what, we, we, we want to franchise tag you, then absolutely do it and see what happens now. Who's going to say that Yannick Ngakwe is even going to play with that franchise take? Who knows? This could be another circus in town, and he may threaten to sit. Well, so be it. But if I'm the Jacksonville Jaguars brass, I do everything in my power to assure myself that I have the best chance of winning. And if that involves franchise taking Yannick Ngakwe, then so be it. Yeah, one last uh, point on that, too, is I've been a big proponent of, hey, Jacksonville, if I could sit there with Doug Marone, maybe I will next week at the Combine, or Dave Caldwell, and say, listen, guys, you can have something in 2020. I think you could have something for the next four or five years, maybe even beyond. But definitely in 2020 that nobody else has. You've got these two pass rushers that are good and that are under the age of 25. Now, other teams have good pass rushers and maybe multiple good pass rushers. But not this age. Not with this youth. Not with before their prime and already good resumes. They have something different, something unique, something that nobody else, in my opinion, has in the NFL. Now, the ideal way to treat that is let's have that for the next three, four, five years. But you better make sure you have that at least for 2020 in a must-win year. So I agree with you uh, in that regard. All right, uh, the other one, Gardner Minshew, second-year quarterbacks, as we get ready for a game, <laughs> as you can hear. But 
you brought up an interesting point. Second-year quarterbacks in general, sophomore seasons, will they slump or will they become rising stars? Do you think this is the year that we will find that out across the board with the Daniel Jones, the Kyler Murrays, or even the Gardner Minshew? Well, listen, if we go back to history, Brent, and we start at 2016 with Carson Wentz getting drafted the next year, he was an MVP candidate, right? And he probably would have won MVP if he didn't get hurt. The Eagles still go on to win, you know, the Super Bowl, and a lot of big thanks to Carson Wentz for that. Next year, Patrick Mahomes gets drafted. He sits a season, comes in next year, and blows the doors off the league. Same thing, Lamar Jackson, 2018, uh, gets drafted next season, comes in, MVP. So with that being said, one would think between Daniel Jones, Drew Locke, Dwayne Haskins, Kyler Murray, and Gardner Minshew, one of those guys is going to make that, you know, that next transcendence and maybe become, you know, possibly an MVP. If I was to pick it out right now of, like, where my power rankings would be, I think Daniel Jones is probably the most intriguing person just because of that offense now with Saquon Barkley, as long as he can stay healthy. I think they're going to add pieces around Daniel Jones. But how can you not like Gardner Minshew? And I get it. With Kyler Murray, too, the, you know, the Kingsbury offense, yada, yada, yada. I'm not buying in quite yet. But I think Gardner Minshew has a, just as good a chance as maybe a better chance than a lot of guys in his class to make that next step forward going into his sophomore season. I think it was an excellent point you brought up, and I can't disagree with you. I think Minshew is right in that conversation, that guy that could be the next guy. And that's why you need to ride with him. In 2020, simple as that. All right, uh, been a lot of fun hanging out at Creekside High School. I think I'll be back in studio tomorrow. Check us out on TV, CBS 47, Fox 30. I'll have a live report from Creekside coming up in about 45 minutes, and they'll have all the action later tonight on CBS 47, Fox 30 Action Sports Jack. For Austin Lane, Coos, Stuart Weber, stop by, John Bachman. I'm Brett Martin. Have a good night, everybody. Thanks for listening. It's Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.